Savages, Spikes and Spartacus, welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life re-watches a Marvel movie or a TV show and then quizzes someone who is a veritable Marvel expert, someone that was taught to read with Marvel comics. My name is Rob Holden, I am a comedian, I'm a writer and I'm the Marvel expert half of the equation. And I am joined, as ever, by Mr. Will Preston, the man, powered by ignorance. Hello, Will! Yes, powered by my own ignorance. I am perpetual ignorance, man. That's a lot of words. <laughs> perpetual ignorance. It's self-replenishing ignorance. Yes. It's ignorance that keeps the motor going. It's the, it's the dumb that keeps on giving. <laughs> Welcome to the Planet Hulk episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. Coming up, we explore the history behind the greatest Hulk story ever told. We take a look at Hulk's history of exploring fantasy worlds. We find out about the first and the only family the Hulk has ever known. And we find out what happens when the Hulk finally gets a happily ever after. It is all to come on this action-packed episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. So excited and thrilled to be back with you. Because we've just come off the back of a pretty exciting event ourselves, haven't we, Will? <laughs> uh, I, I am still buzzing. I, I am still buzzing from what we're about to talk about. Uh, this this weekend, uh, me and Will were at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Indeed. Um, at the Attenborough Arts Centre delivering yes. our very first live show. Oh, wasn't it just wonderful? It was... It was just, it was just something really, really special, really, really cool. Um, if I could do that every uh, month, I would never be unhappy again. <laughs> thank you to, to, I mean, tell me about it. Thank you to every single person that came out to see us. Um, we're a couple, a, a smattering of new, new listeners or people who didn't even know who we were. But mainly, it was you guys, our amazing listeners, our amazing people on Patreon that we know about, people that communicate with us and, and get in touch and. We got to meet so many people. I know. We got to sign some autographs. We uh, had our pictures take people wanted their pictures taken with us, meeting us afterwards and before. Incredible, I, amazing. I have never been asked to sign an autograph. <laughs> it, it, it's beyond my skill set. I don't think I have either. I I I what I did one comedy gig um, up in Stockton upon Tees, big gig, five hundred plus people. Wow, um, which is not that big, but it's pretty big. That's big. And and uh, yeah, one one woman asked me to sign an autograph when I went to the bar to get a pint. Uh, but that's it. That not an autograph. Sorry, take a picture with me. That's fine. Um, that's that's the that's the entirety of the picture taking experience I've had. But this was this was so many of you, God. Um And I, I, you know, putting this show together now, it's been really cool to kind of think. I now I can now picture some of the people that were making this show for, and that's that gives it an extra kick. That's an extra, you know, that's a real t- thing to aim for, for isn't it? I think it's easier to to actually do a show like this. Uh, when you know exactly who's listening in, and you go, ah, great. Now, now you know, I, I, I could just picture them listening in. I, it's like a conversation now. It feels it's less incredible. like we're screaming into the void or at you. 
if if it just it's just so great. It's just so great to see a very a human ear at the end of all this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to some of the people we know that were there and let us know they were there. Uh, Mikey W was in the house. Peter J. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Bingham came with his whole clan. That was so cool. Excellent stuff. Uh, Bingham brought so many people with him. Thanks for that, George. And George actually helped me out. I, I forgot something during the show, and George. <laughs> what fit was that? Was again? there. Well, I don't want to give anything away because oh, we we've got something to talk about in a minute. But George helped me out yep. uh, in the middle of a of a live record. George had some knowledge for me. Uh, uh, Nina was there and Juicy was there as well. And I'm that, sure there were some others that did, we didn't know about particularly. But there was Alfie as um, well. Oh, that's right. Alfie was there Alfie's as well. Alfie's there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I, I had a nice conversation with him about computer parts. <laughs> incredible, I- incredible. To, to to all the people that couldn't make it, and we know mm. that our audience is fifty fifty. Like well, it, we've also we've also have some wonderful people in Australia and all that, but we do we do have a tremendous amount of America. We have loads of of, of actually. So yes, yeah, not fifty fifty uh, UK and outside UK. It is more outside the UK. And obviously, we knew these people wouldn't be able to ever get the chance to come in and see this. We did. I, I recently looked at our statistics, and I was really uh, happy to see the majority of our American listeners are from California. So if we ever decide one day we should do an American one, we should go to California. <laughs> Only just California. Texas and New York are, are really close behind that. It's not much in it. I think month to month it swings uh, it swings back around. But, yeah, uh, we can put together a tour maybe. But we, we just wanted to uh, make sure that we don't leave anyone behind when we did this live podcast. So me and Will, we put something together. Yes. We hired a film crew to come with us and we uh, they <laughs> they mm. and us we've made a specially made video of the live show created for everyone to enjoy um it, it that that's all been putting together as we speak putting that together there's editing there's some uh, little effects here and there um that is coming to patreon in march we are going to be releasing it on our Patreon as one of our full-length bonus episodes. If you subscribe at the £10 tier, then next month you're going to get to see us on video for the very first time. We've never filmed or recorded a podcast before, have we? We've never, we've never recorded ourselves visually. I, um, I, it might be the only time. Who knows? It might be. I, I, it I, might I... be. So make sure that you sign up. Um, month March is the month if you have not yet. Become a member of the Versaverse month. March is the month for you guys to do that because it's the most extra special full-length bonus episode that we have ever created. It's the one that cost us the most money, quite frankly. Oh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, and that had a real great, great way for us to uh, share that with with uh, the people that are weren't able to get to Leicester um in that moment and hey will you had a uh you had your own little gig as well i did the weekend i did i did my uh solo show it's still work in progress but you yourself you helped me help me write it but uh, it's been a long time since you've had a look at the material and i've had a chance to sneak in some new jokes that you've never heard before and i have to say it was very encouraging to actually hear you laugh out loud at some of that booming laughter Bo- yeah booming laugh. loads of laughs in the room it was, uh, above a really great little pub um, easy one of my better was... gigs and i it's made me feel so much better about my own show now i really feel that i have something good going on that i can definitely start to Mark it out and say, "Hey, this show's actually good. Put me on." And some some fun faces in the audience oh, as well. Yeah. No, Peter J came along 
um, for, uh, to, to see your show as well. And Dan, Dan, Dan Nicholson was there. Daniel, we've got a big, big shout out to Daniel as well Definitely. because Daniel's the guy that put the whole uh, deal together um, and kind of said, "Hey, have you guys considered doing this?" Um, <laughs> it, so yeah, absolutely. It was mad awesome to have him there happened. in person as well yeah. in the audience. That was so cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of gigs, Will, what have you got coming up that people can go and see you uh, at? Well, I'm starting to drive to gigs now, which is quite fun. Next gig I've got is Thursday the 17th in Brighton at The Branding Needs Work at Caxton Arms. Uh, And then on Sunday the 20th, I'm in Winchester for Off the Rails at the Railway Inn. Uh, On Wednesday the 23rd, I'm at Punchline Comedy at Electra Works in Islington. On Thursday the 24th, I'm at, well, it's just called Comedy Club at The Mixer in Ware. And if you're around the corner from Whitney, where I live, uh, I'm doing a little, a nice little gig at a nice little <laughs> cafe I like in Shoreditch called Comedy Club Shoreditch at the Bistro Wallach. It's a- go and see, uh, get out your way to go and see Will. All those dates are up on your Twitter and website, is that right? Yes, I try to keep it all up to date. Uh, there's a com or Will Preston on the Twitter. Um, and if you, you know, let us know where you are and if you want to see Will, because if you let us know uh, where you live and what comedy clubs are in your area or just where you live, we can kind of work out what the comedy clubs are nearby. Yeah. If you would like to see Will Preston um, performing near you, get in touch, write us a, uh, send us a, a message to uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Drop us a line on Twitter Marvel, uh, at Marvel versus. Let us know your locations and that you want to go out and see Will do some comedy. And then we can kind of put together some... We can contact people and say, hey, we got we got a little... We've got some people here that want to see this guy. Yeah. Let's put that together. That might be a good to plan your trips around the country. Audrey, and, um, and with the car now... Sorry, I like talking about my cats and my car. Uh, I, 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 I can do it easier. It's great. So make sure you do that and get in touch. And don't forget, that video of the live show mm. is coming in March... You want to be on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Join me now for a deep dive into the mind of a muggle, a man uh, who is self-replenishing ignorance. Um, Well, obviously we've talked about the Hulk character before. Yes, we have. But it'd be interesting to know, this movie came, comes out, it's, it's a direct DVD. I'm not expecting you to have kind of uh, heard of it. No, no, no. This no. particular movie. Uh, We're doing something quite different with this one. Yeah. Um, we've looked at animation before with Spider-Verse and the cartoons, but I don't expect you to have heard of this coming out at the time. Does no. Planet Hulk ring any bells with you at all as a, as a name, as a word? No, but when it comes to uh, comic book storylines, this sounds like uh, an obvious one to go with because you just put planet in front of something or some, or apocalypse at the end of something or Ageddon at the end of something and you've got yourself a nifty comic book storyline. I think story you're line. confusing comic books with like really like lazy director directed television action movies but okay maybe maybe come on there are some there's a venn diagram here and you know it this movie comes out i mean we had the first hulk movie or aside from lou ferengo we had the first hulk movie 2003 which we've yet to look at are we we ever going to look at that one by the way i'm not sure i'm not sure we had the first hulk movie in 2003 and then we had incredible hulk 2008 and Mm. this drops 2010 how had your like how had your opinion 
of the Hulk, how you viewed and thought about the Hulk. You know, sort of where, where, what was it at in, you know, a couple of years after that first uh, Ed Norton movie and and around, you know, we're going to get the Avengers not too in, in a couple more years and stuff. Around two thousand and ten, I mean, phew, I was, I was all, I was Batmaned, I was all Batmaning, baby. Batman was my thing. Uh, maybe so not, not on your radar at all. This is the thing. I've always known about the Incredible Hulk because of the Lou Ferrigno show. I knew about the two movies, but the second one flew so far under the radar. I barely, really? yeah. It, I mean, I, I, I believe I spoke about it on our second ever episode when we covered it. But like, I, 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 I just heard there was an Incredible Hulk film, and like they did after Hulk, which bombed spectacularly. Mm. You know, and I was like, oh. They probably just can't do Hulk very well, like, and, and and I'm not interested in Hulk to be honest. Uh, but, well, I'm more interested in him now. But back then, I was just like, he's very basic. He's not like Batman, where he has an entire utility belt and a Batmobile and lots of admin. <laughs> so this wouldn't have been something you would have rushed out and bought then. No, I I viewed a lot of these uh, like DVD films, like animated films, as stuff that's like halfway between the like an X Men cartoon series. And something stretching into, like, the comic canon and the larger story in the Marvel Universe, yeah. which I had absolutely no footing in whatsoever. Uh, around that pot time, I was reading uh, the odd Alan Moore and some old Batman comics, and that was me satisfied, you know, in 2018. I would not step foot into Marvel because, as I've said before, it was t- it's like getting into jazz it's an entire universe <laughs> to get into. It, it can it can seem quite daunting, which Incredibly. is what we hope this 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 show kind of dispels the the myth of. Yeah. So if you'd heard in 2010 that there was this movie that was a very close, very very close adaptation of a major Marvel story, mm. that wouldn't have added any kind of gump for rump to you checking it out. It might have actually been a knock against it, maybe. What do you mean, not a knock against it? Well, because you just said that you find that so daunting. Yeah. So that if 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 they if if it so the X Men cartoons and the Spider Man cartoons are made to be easily accessible. Yeah. If you had heard, there's this movie, and it's so and it, one of its unique selling points is that it's a very very close adaptation of a of a of a of a great comic series. That might have been a knock against it, it in your not, mind of actually maybe I won't check it out. Exact, it wouldn't have been a selling point to you. Exactly, it'd be a knock against it because there'd be characters from just outside of Hulk's direct story, uh, you know, like other people in the Avengers and stuff, and I would have gone, okay, I'm lost. Uh, this is this is this is my thing. I I have a really big love for self-contained stories. As much as I love the MCU and the way it works, I love it, but I really love self-contained stories because. It's like it's like going on Wikipedia late at night, and you don't stop at one article, do you? You go on these tangents, and you go down the. <laughs> this is what Marvel's like to me. It's just endless Wikipedia holes to go down. Yeah, there's a certain type of. I've got I've got a couple of friends who are the same. They 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 seem to view the. They seem to view it as a negative and not a positive. They seem to go. I can't possibly enjoy this unless I know everything about everyone who's going to appear. Yes, which I'm a comp- is, I'm a completionist. I like yeah. to go through an entire box set of a TV show or an entire series of books and go. Yes, I've done it. I completed it. I'm not an expert, but I can have a good conversation. When it comes to something like this, I go. Hang on. What, I don't know anything about that guy. I don't know anything. This is a dead end for me. I don't know anything about this, you know. And it feels it feels like uh, plugging holes in a tub. 
Well, you are now the man that, that has a lot of the answers rather than the man that doesn't have any answers. I know. Um, you've done your best to uh, scour for facts and trivia about this little release. Of course, it's not quite as uh, fruitful as when we have a major Hollywood movie. But mm. what can you tell us, Will, about the behind the scenes? Well, there's some interesting facts about this film. Obviously, yeah, there's no uh, box office to speak of because it was direct to DVD. Uh, but due to licensing issues to start off with, uh, the Silver Surfer could not be used in the film despite having appeared in the comic. And so instead of the Silver Surfer, the animators substituted classic cosmic Thor character Beta Ray Bill. It's always Beta in my mind, but... Uh, see, I think I, I, th- I, th- I think Beta Max. If, if I see Beta... Yeah, I suppose so. But I think Beta Rays, Beta Max. And the Beta Band, yeah. I don't call them the Beta Band. Or do I? I sometimes call No, I think I call them the Beta Band. Anyway, yeah, he's, he's an odd character. Uh, I'll speak about him later. I've made some notes about him later. Also, parts of this story were eventually uh, used seven years later for the movie Thor Ragnarok, which I spotted right away. When you when you saw this movie, well, yeah, there, 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 there are as, as, aspects, yeah, I mean, set, settings and and characters, yeah. Absolutely. I don't know how much of the story was used, really, but yeah, yeah. Also, the film almost didn't happen. Uh, Marvel Animation Director of Development and Planet Hulk supervising producer Joss Fine said, right in the middle of production on Next Avengers and Hulk Versus, the idea came up of what are we going to tackle next. Somebody ended up suggesting another Hulk movie, and I can tell you that myself and a lot of the rest of the creative team were not too enthused about doing that. We'd just come off doing so many Hulk stories in Versus, and he appeared in Ultimate Avengers 1 and 2, and he cameos in so many animated series that it felt like we'd done the Bruce Banner Man on the Run Hulk story before. Someone pointed us in the direction of Planet Hulk, which I had not read yet at the time. When we cracked open the book, it was clear that this really wasn't Hulk in any way we'd seen him before. This was a special story for him to evolve in his own right and not be bogged down by Banner trying to kill the monster or being the anti-hero to the other heroes. It allowed him to deal with some deep-seated issues to become a better hero in his own right. The concept just feels so right for the character. And yes, it is Hulk in a new and different way. But in a lot of ways... It brings to light all the issues that the character has been dealing with over the years and years in the comics, comic books and puts a focus on them in a brand new way. The essence is the Hulk that everybody, everybody knows, but it's been exploded to new levels. The uh, Marvel animation, you spoke about uh, a lot of the Marvel animation products that were knocking out in the years yeah. around this that were fantastic, really great. Um, so Hulk versus are these kind of uh, feature length cartoons um i don't think they're like full mo- i don't think they're 90 minutes but they're i think they're around an hour mm. one is hulk versus wolverine oh damn. And one is hulk versus thor um they're both were really good they didn't have like they were like like you talked about self-contained didn't really have like an ongoing kind of thing to it but they had some cool marvel characters show up um i think hulk uh, invades asgard or is part you know he's, he's really decking a lot of asgardians in in uh the hulk versus thor one uh ultimate avengers one and two mm. were not quite as adult but you know we talked a lot about the ultimates Ulti- reboot yeah i was just about they to made- ask was it actually as adult as the ultimates as you've said no but they did yeah. make two two um animated versions of it 
Um, essentially, just doing a, a kind of a modern reboot of the of the Avengers. They called them, I think, the Ultimate Avengers. It was very strange. We'll kind of go for mm. a foot in both worlds. So yeah, it's not as violent and grim and gritty. Yeah, but they were really well done. Yeah. Um, and the next Avengers, which I never saw that. It looked like it was a bit gimmicky. Uh, it was basically in a far flung future where like the children of the avengers now have to become the the next avengers it looked a bit like a saturday morning kids thing so i, I never really checked that out but, do, do, do you ever see those cartoons where they go hey should we should we do like, the same cartoon but they're kids or it's their kids come on will you know the reference you make in 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 i would say four out of five episodes you've got it you've got it we're talking about kids we're talking about Come on, what reference do you want to make? Oh, God, come on. You're catching me off guard now. What reference? Muppet Babies. Muppet you babies. always talk about the Muppet Babies. <laughs> I was thinking of Muppet Babies. I was like, you can't be But why Muppet didn't babies. you say it? <laughs> because, because, it, because it wasn't too... It was, I, I was hesitant saying, you can't be Muppet Babies. Can't mean Muppet Babies. It is I, that. I, I, I can and I did. Did I ever tell you about that Simpsons bit with Alan Moore where uh, Millhouse brings a copy of that DVD to sign? It, it's uh, Watchmen Babies. Yeah, I think the problem with us doing this podcast is that neither one of us has got any new stories for the other one or any new anecdotes. Like everything, everything we've got. Like I'm sure the listener hasn't heard that in a long, long time, and so they're yeah, like, you, "Oh, I've not heard that before." Yeah, but me and you, yeah. But to them, that's, old married couple. To them, that's a nice callback. To us, it's the ever decaying length of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else have you got for us? Well, sorry, that was really cruel. Uh, the screenplay was written by Greg Johnson, who, looking back on the film, said this, I'm always surprised by the time a movie is ready for release because it's always a lot, a much more a tremendous experience than seeing it on a little screen and rough cut footage. I think the only thing we had to have in here was Hulk's arc. He had to keep his journey intact. He had to- Hulk's arse? Arc! Oh, his arc. arc. I thought it was something else. The, the, you know what, guys? We can't make this movie without the Hulk's ass. We, Get his ass in there. Make him wear those cells. Make him wear those bicycle shorts. Get him Big right up his green crack. jiggling cake on screen. <laughs> that's someone's. Sorry, everybody. No, no, no. no. I, my mind went further and thought, yeah, that's someone's fetish. It's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet it is. Let's not Let's get into that. No, we're not. We're not getting down that path. Uh, he had to keep. We his... know we've got. We know. We know there are kids listening now. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just <laughs> let's, like... not, let's not go down that path. No, it's fine. It's fine. He had to go somewhere and start with the Hulk people recognized from other shows. In the books, he's gained intelligence and gone back and forth, but the general public doesn't recognize that. We had to start him off at a place where people started recognizing him, then slowly adding more intelligence as he's forced to exist on this world. His language is expanded. He starts making decisions and having opinions, and he's dealing with something you don't usually see the Hulk deal with. Betrayal. He's coming into this with a huge bag of rocks in that his friends betrayed him and launching him into this world. As long as we, as long as we were uh, cognizant of that fact... Uh, cognizant cognizant of that fact that it was that the story we were telling then it became a matter of which characters supported that without taking a left turn to explore the backstory of the world and then coming back to the story we just didn't have time to do all that it really needed to be everything was assisting the story so it needs to be where everything was assisting the story it's a it's, it's it's a good story i think 
I won't go into it, but I will say I was really taken aback because when you said, oh, let's do Planet Hulk, and I was like, oh, God, there better be some good characters in this. It's the greatest Hulk story ever written. Um, it's the start of a new of, of a new or maybe the first ever kind of golden well no the second golden age for the Hulk stories mm. um, it's it's really something uh, I figured we should look at and I was kind of a bit like I think I wanted to look at this before we get to see Ragnarok because in the timeline of releases this comes out first and I, I think this is worth us looking at um, and we'll, we're well on our way towards getting to Thor Ragnarok at some point uh, in the not too distant future so I thought this would be a kind of a cool way of getting there first so to take us behind the page of Planet Hulk this 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 really monumental um, story and, 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 and beginning uh, of, of like a decade of, of great Hulk kind of, uh, of stories. We're, we're looking at the year 2006, 2006, 2007, mm. which is really the most amazing time at Marvel. It's this period of time where we've got the, the old Avengers are gone. We've got the new Avengers, which is really exciting. We've got Wolverine and Spider-Man and the Avengers for kind of the first time. But we 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 are we are on the road to and then have the civil war, which as we've talked about and documented in exhaustively in our main show, and then in our bonus episode, um, the civil war was just this incredible moment in in Marvel history, um, and really turned things turned things on its head and turned things around. At the same time as civil war. We've got something going on in space called Annihilation, mm. our very first full-length bonus episode. This, this, this kind of rebooting, retooling, you know, injecting all of Marvel's cosmic characters with this, with this incredible new life as this war kicks off. And then at the same time as all of that, we've got Planet Hulk, which, although it is in space, it's not a part of Annihilation because it's a very it's his own separate kind of thing. Mm. And it uses some characters that, that, that Marvel diehards would recognize, but it's not really, um, it's not really using a huge amount of characters outside of the silver surfers we talked about. So as Marvel is putting the building blocks together for civil war, they realize they have a problem. They have two problems, actually, right? Two superheroes in uh, two superheroes. They've got, right before a civil war, a superhero civil war, that are so strong and powerful that they could turn the tide of any battle. Like Hulk and Thor, with either of these two characters in the story, it would cause a lot of headaches as to why whatever side one of them is on isn't immediately winning the civil war, right? Um, now, thankfully, Thor was already dead in the stories uh, as, they're, as they're planning... Um, was are about to plan civil war. But the Hulk could smash through an army of superheroes with no issues. Uh, th there are obviously top-tier characters like the major Avengers that could happen. But, but that would be the... What it would be is you don't have all the Avengers or all of the Fantastic Four to fight Hulk. You've only got half of them or 30% of them mm. because of how the, the battle lines are split up, right? Yeah. And then the story would be all these characters trying to stop the Hulk, and that's not what Civil War was about. 
So they can't really... The Hulk doesn't stop. The Hulk can't really die. Thor's already been killed off. They don't want to do that again. So they need to get Hulk out of the picture for Civil War to work. (laughs) Okay, I see where this is going. It's a logistics issue. It's a planning and logistics issue. So one of their big like creative writers' retreats, it's decided that the Hulk cannot be present for the Civil War. Right. But he can't just hide in a cave because <laughs> this thing is going to go on for months and months and months and it's going to be the biggest thing in Marvel. And Nor can he you know, go on, go on a trip to France, which is what we talked about in our bonus episode. Ben Grimm becomes a conscientious objector and he goes to France. to uh, He doesn't want to fight his friends, mm. but he also doesn't want to uh, kind of be... Be a be a part of what's going on. So he 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 goes off to uh, you know eat bread and cheese for a bit. I just imagine him now going. I'm just on my way to the Champs Elysees. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's no smoking, you crumb bum? Um, so it was decided that for this to happen, the Hulk needs to leave the planet. He's got to be mm. off world. Um, this is the time we've talked about him so much when when dealing with some of these classic stories, these kind of new, what I would consider modern classic stories. The editor in chief of of Marvel Comics at the time, Joe Quesada, the, the the master of recruiting and nurturing talent. We talked about how he managed to get Neil Gaiman to come and write superhero comics, which was like something no one thought would ever happen. Um, he's he, yeah, he's the master of, of of recruiting and nurturing talent and and treating writers and artists like talent instead of just work for hire yes. right and when you when you when you you see it with some of these incredible uh business guys at the top these CEOs you invest in relationships with talent mm-hmm. not necessarily with this thing of I need something for you. I'll pay you and hire you to do this. You just nurture and invest in that relationship, I, I, and it, it's, 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 it spawns something awesome. It does. It's, it's, it's viewing it's viewing people who work with you as people and less like tools to be used. Yeah, but it's also it's also actually approaching it almost like an agent or a manager of an entertainer or a star uh, or yes. a star athlete. Yes, like it's viewing the writers and artists at Marvel like players on your NBA all-star team, right? Yes. It's like, okay, I need... Th- th- that's the approach Not that Posada brought to the, to, the, to the job. Not staff, talent. Absolutely. That's go. exactly it, yeah. Um, and he'd been nurturing um, an independent filmmaker and writer called Greg Pak. Mm. Um, Greg Pak had gained a lot of critical praise um, a few years before this for um, a short film he, 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 he made called Robot Stories, which was... A bunch of different science fiction kind of um, a bunch of short science fiction stories that were all to do with artificial intelligence and robots and kind of living with people and stuff. Um, and he'd then uh, been been brought in. He's a writer and a big comic book fan, so he'd been writing a bunch of different comic things here and there, odd issues here and there, a few issues here, a bunch of stuff for Marvel. Mm. But Quesada really was very very impressed. I mean, he 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 did in an interview kind of do this thing of saying. I think maybe he was asked who the next kind of like cool names are going to be, and he name checked this guy, Greg Pak, who was. Uh, I I I am deeply sorry. I have got that name wrong. Greg Pak. My apologies, Greg Pak. 
Um, it's nice when it, you do it, it for once. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a deal when it's a real person with uh, a non-English name mm. than it is like a, car- a space alien. Like messing that up is not a big deal. But I don't, I don't think any of the uh, Marvel characters will have a problem with you for that. But uh, I, I deep, deep, deep apologies for that. It, it's, it's one of those. Uh, one of those uh, white English brain malfunctions. Greg Pock. Um, Greg Pock was not really someone that you was on anybody's, I would say, like radar in terms of having a lot of heat and a lot of this guy's going to sell comics. But we sort of name checked him a bunch of times, saying Greg Pock is going to be the next one of the next big stars. Um, and he felt it was time to unleash him on something he could really get his teeth into. Um, and Pocket said about Planet Hulk, the inspiration for sending Hulk to an alien planet where he'd battle monsters as a gladiator came entirely from editor-in-chief Joe Quesada. I love the idea from the minute I heard it, so I was blown away when they told me I had the gig, and even more blown away when they basically cut me loose on my own to create the whole world. Ooh. I got inspiration for the story by reading about the lives of gladiators in ancient Rome, mm-hmm. from the stories of figures like Genghis Khan yes. and more contemporary warlords, dictators and political leaders. Sun Tzu's Art of War and Joseph Campbell's Power of Myth played a big role in helping me think through other aspects of the story and of the Hulk. Pock, this was a smash hit. It was originally going to be like, I think, six to eight issues. It got extended to 14, um, which is a huge number of issues Mm. for any kind of story, Um, especially when you're handing it to someone that hasn't had the reins of a major tentpole character before. Um, An awful lot of um, trust and respect and they just, Quisada uh, uh, and Marvel just thought Greg Park was awesome at writing. And they loved, you know, they loved, they loved the way he, he wrote characters. Park would go on after this to write the Hulk and a variety of spin-offs for the next 10 years. Um, creating one of the greatest errors in Hulk history. Mm-hmm. If you are ever looking at a, a Hulk comic and, and, and Greg Park's name is on it, P-A-K, Park, just snap that up. He is, he is really... Uh, really awesome at that sort of stuff. And it all starts right here. It's the most revolutionary Hulk story with the most grandiose Hulk story and one of the most heartbreaking Hulk stories. We absolutely love hearing from you guys, um, whether it's in person to get your pictures taken and uh, get autographs or whether it's, it's digitally, you can drop us a line on Twitter at Marvel Versus, you, you can do it via Gmail, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com or on the Patreon. Will, what have you got in the mailbag this week? Well, first of all, I've got Juzi who wrote in to say, Hello, guys. I feel like I've not written ages, but I keep on following you with unadulterated joy. December's episodes were great. I loved your take on Doctor Strange while I was not a massive fan of the Mars Matador. Yes. I, you're not meant to be he's a bad guy you pair he's a, you pair are weird you and juicy he, he's, he, you're not meant to like him he's he's lame <laughs> yeah that's the whole point of obscure marvel <laughs> they're all lame this was a dude who threw his cape at cars <laughs> and was like ole it's meant to be i could never thank you enough for our christmas chat it was the best christmas present ever i am definitely a fan uh sidebar to explain that uh juicy uh, has entered the uh 100 club 
So um, we arranged a, a special chat uh, over Christmas time where we just kind of chatted all things Marvel. Um, if you're not part of the, so to, if you're not, if you're with us on Patreon and we're going to start it up again, it has to be as and when we have the availability. People that have contributed a hundred pounds or more, mm. then uh, they can, you guys can kind of book in uh, a, a, a web chat with is with us. If you are, 18 years and above. Um, so we put that together with Juicy. You guys can uh, subscribe. Our, our Patreon subscribers can do it through like a long membership where you eventually build up to £100. Um, and then we got, we'll, we'll, we'll put something together with you uh, and we'll arrange for a call. Or some of the, uh, the big ballers out there just do it in a one-off payment drop that big check and away we go we got to do something very cool with juicy over christmas time which was awesome because she was kind of locked down and uh yeah. and, and isolating and stuff so it was cool to be able to make that happen a bit quicker than than perhaps we normally would have done for people that are already out and socializing Absolutely. so that was that was really cool nice thing to do over christmas with juicy it was a very sorry what else is she on very to lovely chat she continues uh january started off started on a high for the podcast and already managed to listen to all the episodes twice by the way <laughs> i have my tickets for lester and i cannot wait to see you live p.s i am taking the boyfriend with me trying to convert him to the podcast and we'll watch the episode you'll do watch the episode you'll do the live show on the bus on the way to lester so hashtag, hashtag commit. Did. I mean, hashtag commitment. Yeah, she bought. Yeah, and they did watch it on the bus, and they were. I mean, they were. You were late, Juicy. So we we <laughs> have to deduct a few. I mean, a few fan points for that. Oh, I know you travelled all the way from London to Leicester to see the show, but you were like two minutes late. Everybody so. knows that towns beginning with the same letter are directly next to each other. Uh, but no, it was it was good. I have to say, uh, some sometimes I have to say podcasts are the best way to bond over in a relationship. I know me and my wife, when we first started dating, she got me onto the podcast that she really loves, although I don't listen to it as much as I should do, called Dynamic Banter, which is hilarious, and she's addicted to it. Not- I can I can tell you now my my thought and opinion on my brief interaction with Juicy's fella is that he is never listening to this podcast. No. <laughs> I don't think that. I mean, he he literally has, I guess, because he was at the live show. I don't think it's happening, Juicy. Oh. I think it's a lost cause. But no hard but, feelings. Um, no good hard luck. Feelings. It could be a war of attrition. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Nina Daniels, who got in touch. Just got home from seeing the live podcast in Leicester, and it was amazing. It was so much fun to see you in person, to see the song being played by a real-life banjo player, and to get to meet you both. And I also saw cameras <laughs> in the theatre. A real-life a real banjo player makes it sound like they're a thing of myth and legend. Sometimes <laughs> you see them in the wild, uh, running between pubs, smelling of ale. <laughs> no, it was, it was, uh, I just want to say, it was, it was great to see, see so many people. Well, we had people coming up to take photos with us it was a very quick sort of turnaround i just want to say i'm sorry if i appear dazed or confused at any point because i was just you know you're at that post show high where you're mm-hmm, buzzing yeah. I, I was i was being as quick as i can move but it was it was lovely to see you all uh she said if there's a video of the show i'd love to see it yeah because she, she uh maybe you maybe i talked over you then but she said she saw cameras yeah. um, at the theatre. Yes, you said I saw cameras in the theatre. Yes, the- Those were our cameras that yes. we had hired and strategically placed to capture. You had your own uh, close-up camera? I did, I did. Um, I had my own close-up so did camera. I. Was, I was a bit worried because yeah. I, I'm then going to watch it and notice weird facial tics and things with my hands. <laughs> but, hey. Yes, but I have to put up with every blooming week, mate. Oh, thanks. Just, <laughs> just turn off the webcam. Turn off the webcam. Uh, finally, George Bingham dropped us the line. Hello to both of you that live 
show was amazing. So great that my friend is now going to sign up to Patreon. Oh, yes, George. Yes. <laughs> also, this animated Hulk movie was something I had never seen before. So when I heard about it, I was surprised it even existed. Can't wait to see what you do later on in the year. Massive shout out Massive. to George Bingham and his and his whole crew. They travelled from Devon, like yes. Plymouth, I think, to Leicester. Uh, it was like an eight-hour round trip for them. Um, immense, immense, immense work. And he sold so many tickets on our behalf because, <laughs> like, his sister came, his best mate came, his mum came. Like, that was a it was great a, to meet a real them all. clutch play. I think he was the biggest ticket mover. We should have put him on commission. Um, <laughs> That was really cool, George. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate having you there. And again, George, uh, there was something I forgot and didn't have the, the the figures on in the middle of the show. And I was my I had to reach for someone that would know straight away. And I was like, George will know. <laughs> <laughs> Very like, George, good. what was that thing? And he was like, it's this. Um, you don't get so that, that with cool a normal George, George is George is part of that show now. He was he's a that's why I, he's a, he was a, technically he was a guest on the show. That's, that's why <laughs> that's why I like the live idea because every now and again. You want to exploit that idea and go, hey, I will interact with the audience at this bit. <laughs> uh, and yes, it, as we said, I mean, look, 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 look. We are bursting with full of love and support at the moment, um, but we could be fuller because there's more of you out there and not everyone is doing the right thing. And they should be. They should be. Because, I mean... Where else do you get what we're putting out here? I mean, FOMO is real, guys. Like, because you are missing out. You're missing out on the special feeling you get when you do the right thing. When you know you can look yourself in the mirror. You can sleep at night. You've got a clean conscience. Like some of the amazing people that have uh, been contributing to us for, for God, uh, like nearly two years now. Um, and yeah... We've got some big, big bonus things to give back to you as a reward. Obscure Marvel, which drops each and every month. A little awesome mini episode where we just have the most ridiculous time. How much fun was a 3D man? Three. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, God. Just remembered him now. That was, it was more fun than the Masked Matador. That's for sure. We explore the most obscure, but mainly the most ridiculous characters and stories in the history of the Marvel Universe. I expose them to Will for the very first time, um, and uh, and and we just have so much fun with that. The 3D Man was the episode for, for February, and that was incredible. Uh, and there's one of them every month, and that's for everyone that subscribes. You sign up at the, t- the £3 tier, and you get that incredible uh, bonus content every month. Our full-length bonus episodes are where it's at, however, because this month, I mean, listen, Planet Hulk is an incredible story. It really is. Mm. We're going to get into it all. We're going to pull it all apart. But Planet Hulk is the beginning of a bigger story. It's called World War Hulk. What? It spins out of Planet Hulk. It is a Marvel worldwide event where the Hulk fights everyone. And it is a global disaster. A green global disaster. 
That is our bonus episode for the month of February. It's dropping shortly, soon. Um, and that is uh, is going to be uh, available to everyone at the £10 and above tier. Yes. Um, that is... Uh, and by the time we get to the end of this episode, by the time you get to the end of this episode, you are going to feel a certain way. You are going to feel a certain way about the Hulk, like maybe you've never felt before. And you are... I'm telling you, you're going to be thirsty for world war hulk and we've got it for you on patreon and then in march you guys can watch marvel versus marvel for the first time ever because the full-length bonus episode in march is going to be our live show that me and will um managed to bring in a film crew we knew this is a this might be the only time we ever do it It as a one-off event as far as we know who knows what the future holds but we were like Hey man, let's roll the freaking dice, right? We never <laughs> expected this to happen. We never expected to be where we are. We never expected to to get to be a part of a of a of a you know a, a massive comedy festival like Leicester. We never expected to have the kind of offer that was put on the table to us. We never expected to have people coming from all over the country to see us and meet us and all that. So we were like let's just even if it's just for us let's document it let us put our hands in our pockets let's roll the dice we did it and what what's come out the other end we've seen parts of it already is so much fun yeah we know what we're gonna do we're gonna turn around and we're gonna give it back to uh our incredible supporters on patreon um so that's what it's gonna be it's full of laughs it's full of mistakes it's full of bickering and bullying it's full of <laughs> marvel history and trivia and the best band you play in the country it's 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 everything marvel versus marvel usually is as we look at an episode of what if and dive into parallel dimensions and and the marvel multiverse so it's it's just it's really it's really fun it's really cool and it's available to everybody at the £10 and up tier. Head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and do the right thing. We are back from the Leicester Comedy Festival with a blockbuster, a meaty... I mean, this is just... There's so much to get into in this. I am so excited. I love it when we get to tackle one of the one of the best kind of like comic comic stories Marvel have ever done. It's so exciting. It's so cool. We've caught everyone up. We've listened to the fans. We've paid some bills. We've laid the table, both behind the scenes and behind the page. All that's left is for Will Preston to do the main part of the show and to uh, take us through this movie. I'm pressing play now. In deep space, Hulk wakes up in a space shuttle to find he is being held captive inside as it speeds through the cosmos. A holographic... Do that again. I like that. Which part? As it speeds Speeds through the the cosmos. cosmos. That was cool. That was atmospheric. I know. I know. It would have flowed really well if you didn't interrupt me. (laughs) (laughs) As it speeds through the cosmos, a holographic message plays... Iron Man, Doctor Strange and Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four explain to Hulk that because of Hulk's unstoppable power and rage, they have captured him and are sending him to a lush world full of game and plants, but no intelligent life. Hulk has always wanted to be left alone, and now he'll get exactly that. On the planet Sakaar, a hooded figure prays for a warrior saviour. A warrior who looks into the eyes of death and stands his ground, with boundless strength, whose power knows no end. Little does he know that a very angry Hulk has damaged his shuttle, changing its course to a wormhole in space. A wormhole which leads the rage-filled beast to Sakaar. 
The opening credits uh, were great for this. I think the opening was just uh, really. It, it was. I think it was. It was. It was. There was, there was a nice bit of pathos and somber here. I really liked that you. It was literally a POV shot. Yes. Like it starts with the camera is Hulk's eyes. You are very much in Hulk's shoes as he wakes up and. And there's this betrayal, and there's this confusion, and all this, that, and the other. It's um, yeah, yeah. I really, I really liked it. And then it, it it goes into that booming Hulk music at the beginning with the opening credits. I was like, this feels like a movie now, like a proper movie. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I, I like that. So very widescreen and very oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a nice start to this, as I have no idea what led the decision to launch Hulk away from Earth. Is this how Planet Hulk starts in the comic books? Yeah, very similar. Very, mm. very similar. Um, the shadowy images of of uh, the superheroes is important. So it, it it's teed up by uh, Hulk being exposed to even more Gamma, which kind of sends him completely out of control. I have to say, and every time you say Gamma in, in the Hulk, I, my, my mind keeps hearing Gammon. Like he's, oh dear! He's, he's being like exposed to pork. <laughs> like you know what? I've got gammon for my tea. Very nice. I'm gonna have gammon egg and maybe chips. I'm not sure. Classic English tradition. Yeah. Um. So he he goes on completely out of control and he goes on a rampage through Las Vegas, mm. destroys the strip, and it is a a huge, huge, huge disaster. As in. People have lost their homes. Oh, People have lost no. their businesses. It's yeah. like it is like when a, the, the the way it's depicted in two thousand six, it's like a hurricane has gone through like the city and just destroyed it. And it, but it, I mean, it's a natural disaster, but it's not natural. It's the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And a group of superheroes decide that really the Hulk has become far too erratic and and, and dangerous to let go unchecked if you think about all the different personality changes the hulk has gone through over the years yeah when we touched on this in in one of our big um bonus episodes when we looked at um the the future imperfect and we mm. kind of we looked at the the different personalities that emerge in the hulk it's all very well and good to kind of have a have a stance on what the hulk is like today but nobody knows what the hulk is going to be like tomorrow because he is ever changing in terms of who's in control and these different kind of mentalities that are that are in there well, these group of superheroes are this sort of shadowy outfit that are informally known as the illuminati of of Marvel, basically, mm. we all know that term, um, and it's kind of informally kind of used for, for for these guys. They are, for all intents and purposes, superheroes. They really are. Um, I'll run down who's in it. They each bring a different. They're each meant to represent a different major aspect of the Marvel universe. Right. So there is a chap that we've never seen on screen before, but we talk about quite a lot called Namor the Submariner. Yes. Namor is the king of Atlantis. So he and 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 he is he rules the majority of the world only underwater mm. because there is far much more of that the seven oceans and all of that. He is um a monarch who has repeatedly had all these kind of um 
allegiances and interest in the the bizarre superhero world going back to like the the 1930s um when he fought with Captain America in the Second World War so he's a big power base mm. um Tony Stark is is of you know he 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 represents kind of the event the the I mean the tech based guys but he represents the kind of sort of the majority of the superhero base really yeah he is if he's he's always been involved in the Avengers, so he is almost like the Avengers representative in this thing. Although none of the other Avengers know anything about this, it is a complete secret from the rest of the entire superhuman community and the world at large. Shield don't know about this. Captain America doesn't know about this. Nobody knows about this group. But but Tony Stark is there to kind of represent that the, the superheroes of the world, really. Right. Reed Richards, leader of the Fantastic Four. Um, I guess he's kind of in that, but he's mainly it's the it's the he's from the the science based exploration side of things, right? And all the different he is this group's link to things like the negative zone and what's going on with Galactus and what's going on in subterranea at the core of the Earth. He, he's not exactly a leader of a power base, but he has a huge wealth of information about what's going on in the hidden worlds around the Marvel universe. Black Bolt, who is king of the Inhumans, we haven't seen him yet, but a a very very important figure in in Marvel. Um, uh, the Inhumans are a very powerful race mm. of uh, of beings, and he is like a, 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 a he is the monarch, so he represents another power base. Doctor Strange, of course, representing the mystic side of things, and Charles Xavier representing all the mutants in the world. So you can see how all these different power bases come together. They've all got these di- different interests, and these interests might align. They've all got different viewpoints on it. And whilst the Illuminati were created, I think 2005, 2006, so they're a very modern creation when you'll read the comic, mm. the story reveals that they have actually been working together in secret for decades to shape superhuman history, to take care of problems before they arise, to smooth things over, to nudge things in different directions. The group is formed um, after this big event that took place in the 1970s called the Kree-Skrull War, Mm. where the two races, the Kree and the Skrull, went to war. Earth got dragged into it. It was a big, big, big problem. And Iron Man is like... This shouldn't happen. <laughs> he he basically realizes because all the Avengers and everyone was involved in, like every member of this group had a different part of information about the Kree and about the scrolls beforehand. And if they'd just been working together, they could have stopped this war before it ever happened. But there's no communication between these guys. There's no line of dialogue. So he brings together those people that I've talked about, along with the Black Panther. And they have this meeting, this summit at Wakanda. And Tony Stark essentially proposes they form a government of superhumans to govern the rest of the superhuman population, good and evil, mutants, Mm. magic, Spider-Man, all those cats. And they would kind of work with the actual United States government or the United Nations. That would be what they do. Every single person refuses because they think that's a terrible idea. Like, Namor is like, too many superhumans are, like, criminals and outsiders, <laughs> and I, like, I've got a nation to rule. Xavier is like, we're 
already hated and feared this is a bad idea for us um dr strange is like well too many of the people you're talking about are anti-establishment you're now going to try and get them to listen to a super government (laughs) i don't think that's ever going to (laughs) happen Reed Richards is like, oh, I've thought about this for five seconds and I'm a genius and I've decided uh, this is impossible. It's too large. It's how on earth would we effectively govern? This cannot this cannot work at all. So the super government goes out the window. But what they do decide is we will work in secret, in hiding. We will all work together. As various things come up, we'll share all of our secrets with each other. And Professor Xavier will make sure we have these psychic blocks in our minds so that no one else can ever find out what we do here and what we say here and what we share here together. And Doctor Strange will be involved in that as well. So there's this psychic and, and mystical protection to make sure this group is absolutely secret right from the get-go. Uh, Black Panther hears all of this and goes, this is insane and also secret fascism. <laughs> <laughs> it will go horribly and Wakanda will have no part of this. Mm. So that's been running for a while. Do you need to catch your breath after that? Yes, it's a, yeah. Uh, how, how does it, what is it, does it, how does it feel? What does it sound like? I mean, they're all good guys, aren't they? Yeah. But it just, does it sound shady to you? It sounds crazy. But shady, does it sound like it's a bit... Just a bit shady, yeah. Sinister. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with sinister. Does, it's all... I can tell you, there's, it's not like a... It's not a secret plot. There's no, like, bad guy in the mix to manipulate anyone. It's just they thought they really believed this was a good idea. And what they did with the Illuminati is they took all these major events in Marvel history these huge crossover events like Secret War and Infinity Gauntlets and the, the, the one of the X-Men's wars, and they said, oh, this is what the Illuminati did behind the scenes that you never saw in the comics you read in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But, so here, it's almost like a... Yeah, here's, here's when, when that comic ended, here's what the Illuminati did. They came in and they mind-wiped this person and they put a mystic hex on that dude and they eliminated all database information about what happened, you know, <laughs> so that they kind of clean up and make sure, you know, things don't bubble over. But they are not elected. They have no governable kind of mandates. They're just taking it upon themselves to rule, sort of, <laughs> In secret. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. One of the things they've done over the years is decide to deal with the Hulk. So they manipulated events through one of the Hulk's uh, friends. You remember Doc Samson? With the, yes. The Doc- psychiatrist with yeah. gamma powers. Didn't he look really handsome or something as well? He, well yeah, it, 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 the, the whole thing with Doc Samson is that he had a little bit of gamma so he was he was really like romantic and sweet and intelligent like Bruce. Yeah. But he wasn't a monster. He just got super buff and had green hair. <laughs> and wanted to sleep with Betty. Oh dear. Um, they they managed to get him involved in in this little plot where they get the Hulk uh via shield. Mm. They get him onto a sh- a rogue shield satellite. Rogue, as in it's it's falling out of orbit and it's going to do some real damage on Earth. 
Um, and so Bruce Banner slash the Hulk get up there, Hulk out, use your immense strength to correct a thing or knock it out of orbit <laughs> or whatever we need you to do. I, I forget the, the details. And then that it was going to save, you know, loads and thousands of thousands of lives. But when the Hulk gets up there into orbit, um, they use this this shuttle to trap him, this adamantium lace shuttle to trap him and jettison him from the solar system. And then, yeah, a, a very similar message starts to play, yeah. saying, we, we, "We're intended to land. We, we, we're sending you to a a beautiful, peaceful planet. Isn't it just what you've always wanted, Bruce, to be left alone? We're finally gonna help that make that happen. You're gonna be left alone, Bruce. We're finally gonna. You don't have a choice in it, but it is something you've in the past said you wanted. So <laughs> we are firing you into space. Wow. However." It it doesn't go well. As, as, it goes off course. As you could imagine, yeah. So, on the planet's surface, Hulk exits the wreckage of his ship, confused by his surroundings. Suddenly, a legion of insect-like hive natives, wielding spears, set upon him, stabbing and clawing before Hulk smashes them. As Hulk starts getting the better of his foes, a group of red-skinned Imperial guards arrive and fire an obedience disc into Hulk, as the disc attaches itself to the Hulk, he is immediately able to understand the alien languages being spoken. The captain of the guard claims ownership over the Green Menace, saying, By order of the Emperor, all debris of value which exits the Great Portal is Imperial property. The insects natives claim ownership over the Hulk as they found him first, but the guards pull rank <coughs> and demand the insects kneel before him, which they do without question. Expecting the obedience disc to start working, the guard then demands that Hulk kneel as well, but the giant snarls and goes to attack, but not before the guard electrocutes him into un unconsciousness. You'd think an obedience disc uh, would need to be fired at the head and not the pectoral muscle, wouldn't you? Ah, well, what, uh, so why? So what do you imagine an obedience disc does? Uh, so explain it's, it's it in my, this it's movie. It's mind control, in it. It's all mind control. No, oh, no. hello. It's um, it's intense, insane pain. Oh, okay. And they do explain in the comics. It might be different, maybe in the movie, but in the comics they do explain that disobedience, like that, it it will burn your brain out. It will Ooh. burn. It will burn the cortex. It will burn your nerves. You you become you become a mindless like like vegetable and i think then it can animate you i'm not entirely sure but yes it just it is i i, I don't know if it's nanobots involved that would that's an usual good catch-all explanation in comic books sometimes but yeah it doesn't control you it doesn't make you do things however the pain it delivers will will guide you destroy you will, and it, yeah it guide you to do the thing you really want you really should be doing <laughs> it, will it will pavlov your ass very quickly yeah so hulk seems like a very earth-based character is planet hulk the first time he's traveled to a faraway land uh we discussed uh in secret wars he was part of secret wars oh, yeah, one of secret our wars, yeah. earlier um bonus episodes where a whole bunch of where basically Marvel does He-Man in space, but with Marvel characters that's it. Uh, to sell 
Marvel toys, um, and Hulk's part of that. In the seventies, he he really does. He does the, he does a very kind of a fantasy world kind of deal. Um, he is there's a there are some similarities. Obviously, some influence. Not necessarily similarity, but some influence with this. There, there is an insectoid villain, monster villain called Cyclop, P S Y K L O P, Cyclop, and he wanted, um, he shrunk the Hulk down to use him as a power source in order to help bring his dark masters to Earth to do something. Um, However, the Avengers were like, we're going to stop you from doing this. But they kind of messed it all up, and the Hulk kept shrinking uh, till he was no longer just like tiny Ant-Man-sized, but he actually shrunk down so small. What happened to him, Will? Did he go to the quantum realm? He went into the microverse. Quantum That's realm. right. Quantum realm. <laughs> and the microverse, as we all know, is made up of, if you go to our, our Ant-Man episode, uh, lots of different worlds and solar systems and things that exist at a subatomic level. Subatomica was the original name of it. Um, and one of these worlds is called Kai. K-apostrophe-A-I. Which yep. is a bit odd, because one of my oldest and dearest friends is called Kai. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying not to think about that. And Kai was like this primitive world that had some... Some like sci-fi tech, but also mm. wizards and sorcery. So basically, um, Star Wars. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. 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 Um, all the people on Kai were green-skinned, although they had like blonde hair and blue eyes. Weird Nazi vibes. <laughs> um, <laughs> like like green Nazi vibes. Green Nazis. Uh, but they were otherwise kind of like. You know, humanoids. Yeah. And they were ruled over by Princess Jarella. And Kai faces lots of uh, menaces and monsters and threats and things. And the Hulk appears in the middle of one of these, like, big monster things and goes, hulks out, big rage, drives all the monsters away. And he's expected to have the, the, the people of Kai to turn on him next as a monster mm. and to be chased away. But they're like, they throw this huge, they're like, oh my God, the green savior saved us. They do this huge party and they praise him and they thank him and they fall at his feet and they kiss his hands and he and he's like, Hulk is suspicious. <laughs> but they, they, you know, the green skinned like him, he likes that. And they welcome him instead of chase him with firing torches. <laughs> and he is especially taken in a very kind of Frankenstein-y, King Kong way with the lovely and gentle Princess Jarella. Mm. Um, and she, to thank him, leads him to the sorcerers, the royal sorcerers, who work their magic so that he can understand their language. The spell succeeds, but what it seems to actually do is give the Hulk Bruce Banner's mind and personality, oh. but in the Hulk's body. So he has Banner's intellect and, and personality and language, but he's in the Hulk's body the hulk then and jarella fall in love have a romance fight off these monsters together defeat bad guys and political intrigue and <laughs> are going to get married i'm not they may actually get married i'm not sure they but they, they it's this whole thing of they're gonna be together wow and then cyclop turns up again and goes i found the hulk <laughs> and returns him to his regular size and ruins no. everything and he's 
unable to return and yeah so that there's a kind of a, a sword and sorcery fantasy kind of element going on in another world although it's technically a sub-dimension of our world um but yeah that was way back in in the early 70s god i wonder what i'd love to just shrink down and explore exciting worlds and then just grow and go back in my room <laughs> but after that to leave as we saw in Ant-Man, uh, the chances of you getting eaten by a rat are pretty high or torn apart by bugs. Ugh. I have a real... I can't... I don't like giant... I know no one likes giant insects, but, like, mm-hmm. I, I, what, seeing a... You know, sometimes there's, na- you know, nature photography. Yeah, when it's A close. super close-up yeah. of an insect. I cannot look at it. And I'm, I'm not very good with... Um, movies where they have big versions of 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 uh of insects up to a certain point so it's weird so the movie there's a movie i think eight-legged freaks i remember that eight-legged freaks right when they get like as big as a building i'm not bothered because it's like Mm. what i don't like is when they're as big as a dog yes person oh god i i I am scrunching up my toes right now thinking about it because i'm terrified one's gonna eat me you you would Um, not like the the fallout games then because there's a lot of uh Lot of that. Yeah, no. Any yeah. any insect that gets to kind of like even cat or dog like levels, there's that that size proportion is very it's, horrifying. It's because you can't fight them hand to hand. They're they're down on the floor and nipping at your legs. How dare you? Of course I could. I meant like I as could. a like a person, you know, you can't fight them like a person. They're right there nipping at you. It's like small dogs. I don't like when small dogs come at you. But I also don't want them to be as big as a Great Dane. This is true. This is true. Perhaps we should move on. <laughs> We're going to move on from uh, giant bugs and continue on with the story. Hulk wakes up in chains aboard an Imperial transport. Hulk becomes enraged when he finds out that he that his strength has been drained by the wormhole he fell through and he has been sold as a slave. Hulk, as well as the other slaves, a mix of different creatures in the transport, are to be used as gladiators to fight each other to the death for the entertainment of the masses. Ski Lavin, a former former Imperial Guardsman turned slave, attempts to unite the other gladiators to work together to avoid needless slaughter. Shortly, the port the uh, transport arrives inside the Colosseum, and they are introduced to a baying audience by the charismatic announcer. Provided with swords, Hulk's team is introduced to a team of rock creatures emerging from a pool of molten lava. These are Cronans, incredibly strong and durable warriors made of stone and rock. One of the other gladiators is a Cronan named Korg. He recognises a friend amongst the Krogan rock warriors on the opposing team. Korg tries to talk sense into his friend, but is greeted with a sharp punch to the face. As the slaves ready themselves to fight the Cronans, Hulk abandons the other gladiators, uninterested in the battle. It's nice to see uh, Korg here, sans Kiwi accent. Was that weird for you to see then, seeing it the other way round, as having seen... Ragnarok. We don't want to give anything away about Ragnarok. Right, we don't want to see, give anything. Seen Ragnarok yeah. first. Obviously, we'll talk more about it. It, it. it felt more apt to happen speaking like that because when you hear him say, "Oh, you're all right, man, mate," you know, it's a bit. Oh, it's a bit odd. It's an odd film all it's round. A, that one. <laughs> it's Taka, Taika Waititi's uh, touch all the way through, and I like I like him a lot, and I do love that film. Uh, Just a little note before we, uh, and you've got another question, or before we move on. Yeah. Um, just a little thing that I uh, have remembered as I was listening to that. The so 
the person that Korg recognizes mm. from his own people in the comic books, it's his own brother no. that he has to then kill. No. And that's when we get this explanation of, of the reason that these Cronans are unresponsive is because they fought against their obedience disc, their slave disc, as the as the actual slaves call it. Mm. They fought against their the, the the their their orders, and it burned out their brains completely. Oh. And so they're just like this vegetative state that just follows orders because it's See, making the m- making the electrical impulses go through the body or whatever. That's why I thought it was mind control because of how unresponsive they were and zombie like. There we go. Mm. Yeah, but it's after you disobey. After you only disobey. after you disobeyed. Yeah, obviously because then when when we see right early on the uh, imperial guardsman, he like sends an electric a shock of electrocution mm. through the. It's weird because he's got an obedience disc, but then he electrocutes him. That's at you know what I mean. If it was a yeah. mind control device, you'd be like, "Why are you electrocuting him? Just make him do what you want." It's because that's the that is what he wants to do. That's the thing that that. Uh, that's the the whip. It's it's I I I. This is gonna sound. I'm trying to work out how to word this. That's like a more visceral kind of a- ancient kind of slate. Like if it was just a way of making them do it, making them do whatever you want, it wouldn't be quite so violent as what what used to happen to slaves, where they were beaten and whipped and mm. stuff. You know, violence was always used and things. So I think that there's. That's kind of a good aspect of it. Well, it's not a good aspect of it. It's awful and horrible. However, it's not. I don't think it's terribly helpful to remove the violent aspect. Of, I don't know what I'm talking about. Carry on. <laughs> okay. do, you, do you have any idea what I'm saying? Uh, there was a lot of words. It's more visceral than we press a button and the slaves do whatever we say. Yeah. Rather than when you're building the pyramids, you whip everyone. Whip <laughs> That's how you get them to do it. Give you take their food slap away. on the butt. What can you tell us about the other slaves and gladiators here? Then are they? Is it the same in the comic books? I think. It, well, there's a, there's a couple of changes, and there's there's one missing. No, um, okay. We have uh, Heroim the Shamed, the Shamed, um, Heroim the Shamed, Shadow Warrior and Priest of Sakar, mm. um, who the, the, he practices the old religion and can. I think he. I no, he can't tap into the old power. We'll get to the old power. Um, he is one of the grey-skinned natives of this world, um, and is trained as a shadow warrior. They're kind of like they're kind of like warrior monks, basically. Mm. And his priesthood is dedicated to, um, well, it's dedicated to furthering Sakar and I guess getting rid of the Red King. But they, they kind of keep that to themselves. Yeah. But yes, here I'm the shamed. Um, and I don't know if we ever find out why he's shamed in this story. But I can tell you, because they go into it later on. He was hired to kill... He was sent, not hired, because he's a warrior monk. Yep. Heroin was sent to murder the Red King when the Red King was a child. Oh, damn. But couldn't bring himself to kill a child. So he was shamed. So has to watch as this this... Hitler he didn't kill. Uh. Goes all Hitler on the world. So he is Heroin the Shamed, yeah. So they they knew he was going to become an evil man. The person that sent Heroim and asked for the warrior priests to send someone to murder child red baby red king was the red king's own father, the previous 
king on his deathbed he knew my son takes this throne it will be bad for everyone so he's he is very very weak and powerless himself yeah. um, and none of the imperial guard will raise a hand against the royal bloodline but the shadow priests they will but hero can't make himself do it. It, it it's very joffrey from game of thrones it's very joffrey baratheon there, well, yeah, it's it's just that whole political intrigue, royal bloodlines, yeah, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the, the idea, you know, you go back to Caligula for the idea of these uh, insane emperors and things. Yeah. These. Ooh. We have we have Meek the Unhived, Meek the Unhived, mm. the last one living, as he introduces himself. Um, so he's one of the insect natives you see at the start. Mm. Um, their whole deal is is uh, lava and hives. Being he's his physiology is designed and built around him being part of a large hive. Yeah, but his hive are all dead. He cannot. You can't join another hive. It's not possible because that's, that's that's literally how their hierarchy and stru- structure works. Yeah, you're you're part yeah. of that. It's like a different species and, almost. And they have yeah. this like chemical bonding, yep. which like it's a chemical way of bonding, and it's a chemical way of actually communicating. They have almost a telepathy, mm. well, they do have a telepathy. Um, and so uh, Meek's father spawned a hive without permission, royal permission. Ooh. So um, all of the the hive, Meek's hive, were wiped out by the king's soldiers, except for Meek. He hid, cowered. Uh, didn't do anything, but survived. Um, he's important, and it's not an accident that his name is Meek in a story about a very strong man. Um, yeah, because oh, oh, I see. As in, shall inherit yeah, the earth. I was about and to say that's... the meek and the brave and all of that. Um, I can't. I uh, Eloi, Eloi, Kaifi. You'll go with that. Yes, let's go with that. Um, so the the young the young kind of the the young woman here who doesn't have any way of fighting and stuff. Yeah, she comes from a a high ranking family, um, a red skin family on Sakaar. But her father, and she had quite a privileged life. But then her father spoke out against the Red King, mm. stripped of all his titles and his rank, and not only was he made a slave, but his daughter was made a slave and. His kind of her bodyguard Lavin Ski was also made a slave, sent sent to uh, kind of gladiator training and um, the one of the earliest things we see because we see Hulk go to gladiator training, um, and one of the first things we see is that uh, Eloise's father is a lawyer, and he steps forward and protests. One of the very earliest things we see in Planet Hulk, and he espouses he has great words he has great reason great logic he is a learned man a man of intelligence and a man of resolve and a, but, a, but a man of not anger or strength but a you know mm. a, a smart intelligent man and when he use he tries to use his intelligence and his reason and his logic to solve the problem and to help and save his daughter he is immediately killed in front of her Ooh. This is very important. This sends a message to the audience and to the Hulk. This is not a world where you will see Bruce Banner. This is not a world where the intelligence and reason and logic that Banner brings to the table can do anything. This is a world of might makes right. 
This is a world made for the Hulk. <laughs> and indeed, we never see Bruce Banner. Yeah. This is um, totally written out. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if he... I can't remember if he says it in the movie, but in the comics he says Banner wouldn't last... Nope. Banner wouldn't last five minutes here. No, he wouldn't. Um, there's Korg. Yes, Korg. Uh, you know what? We're going to get back to Korg because he's interesting. Uh, we're going to... As in, in a minute, very, very quickly. So... One of the gladiators that isn't here, mm. uh, but is in the comics and forms part of the Warbound from later on, uh, is called No Name, and it's a member of the Brood. Now, mm. the Brood are a fictional... Fictional? Why have I said that? The Brood are... Because they're fictional. The Brood are a race of, um, like, uh, X-Men villains. They're, they're, ah. uh, they're kind of like almost... They're giant bug parasites aliens, mm. and they do the whole, like kind of not quite chestburster thing but they infect you and then they possess you and kind of take you over and turn you into like a brood an insect looking man person Ooh, insect okay. person um yeah they're kind of 1980s x-men bad guys that chris clement came up with um and there's a nest of them that are introduced to the arena in the comics mm. and only the queen survives the queen of that of that kind of uh that pat that hive um, but she keeps telling them I have no name, so they all call her No Name, which is the opposite of what she wanted. I don't, <laughs> she wanted to have no name. Was she in the? Uh, was was that in the the film? I don't remember that. No, she's not in the not film. The film. Okay, okay. It's but that's who is in the in the comics, the comics and, yeah. and a very you know she's a, a major part of the war. She might not be appropriate, but the Queen No Name is is a major part of the the Warbound in the comics, but isn't here. Korg. Korg is a member of that race, the Cronins. They are they're stone men, rock creatures. And when Korg tells his story to Hulk and the others, um, when they start to get to know each other, it is a story that Marvel aficionados will know very well. It is a story that we have recounted here on this podcast. Korg made an appearance in one of our earliest episodes. No, he did. We have to go back to 1962. We have to go back to Journey into Mystery. We have to go back to the very first Thor story, oh. where Thor, if you can remember, battles a race of alien rock people oh, no. who have tried to invade Earth in flying saucers. When Korg tells his story, not only is he from the same race of people, he was one of them. Oh yes. They tried to invade Earth. Yes. Way, way back. And uh yeah, so Korg is like one of the earliest villains in the history of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> um and he tells this story of trying to invade. We knew nothing about this. We he's like, we were young, we were reckless, we thought we could take over the earth with just six of us. We didn't know what was there. We these these people are squishy, we're made of rocks. <laughs> and then then they get like a, a an actual living god beats the crap out of them, and they fly away in their in their saucer, and they're so all like at sixes and sevens of having been fighting an Asgardian that they fall through a wormhole straight away. Boom! End up on Sakar. They go through the Great Portal, mm. whatever it's called, where their their strength is drained, and and yeah, winds up. So slave of the Red King. So it's a nice little callback to a very early. Indeed, story. That's yeah. really good. I like that. They do it. So they they do it for the 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 they, when is they explain how other creatures have landed here. If you're not native, mm. Greg Park, 
has written this kind of way of so the brood talks about something horrible happening to their home world and then right after that fell through a portal and ended up here well that's a reference to an old 19 i think 90s x-men story so he's just layered some of these things in yeah it's very cool very very cool very good so the fight against the cronan is intense but evenly matches as the team of slaves work together in taking them down one by one. However, Lavin is suddenly taken down by a backhand from one of the Cronans. Aloe Kefi, another slave on their team, tells the group of enslaved insect natives to save Lavin, but are only interested in saving their own race. The insect natives charge one of the Cronans together, but are swiftly and brutally crushed in seconds. The... The android on their team is still able to fight and works alongside Heroim to take down a Cronin. Lavin revives Korg and urges him to fight his own kind, but is fatally impaled by a blade before he can finish speaking. As he succumbs to his wounds, he glances over at Hulk, who's trying to open the Colosseum door and makes eye contact with the giant, <coughs> pleading with him for help. <laughs> that's not, that's not going to work, pal. <laughs> yeah, using sympathy on the Hulk. What an yeah. idiot. Blood pools around Lavin's corpse, leading Korg into a rage that he unleashes onto the Cronin he recognised from earlier. As he starts beating down on the rock monster, the other two Cronins run to assist, but Korg swings the fallen Cronin's body into the other two, smashing them into pieces. There is some juicy animated violence here, isn't there? Yeah? What was your favourite bit? Uh, the well, I don't know favorites. Uh, the one that the one that stuck out was squeezing one of the hives till his eyes popped out. Oh. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's juicy. The 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 rock people smashing into each other. Essentially, what happens is in the comics, uh, Hulk Korg is like, I cannot fight my own brothers. So Hulk picks him up and goes, Okay, I'll fight them <laughs> with you, and and uses Korg's body yeah. to kill his own race. <laughs> Yeah. That is insane. And there's a lot going on here, but like obviously Hulk doesn't seem interested in helping any of them. I, I take it he's like this selfish in the original story. To begin with, yeah, although he very much wants to smash and fight. He's he's not he's not like abandoning the others to try and open a door. He very who will get right in with that mayhem. He very much wants violence and destruction. Um and yeah, completely it, everyone's got an agenda here in this group like meek wants the gladiators to kind of come together as a team but that's because he needs to have a hive around mm. him and he hasn't got one uh eloi wants them all to join the rebellion and rise up against the system and avenge my and hulk's like no no thank you heroim he may or may not he's not sure but he he kind of thinks the hulk might be the savior of his people uh korg believes the korg is the noble one the honorable and the right-minded one as well he's a practical one he's like we all have to work together to save each other and survive hulk just wants to be left alone um he wants to dig in and smash some people up and the way it is set up in the comic book is that the gladiators fight other things and then they fight each other until there's only one left. So there's only ever going to be like a small number of them anyway. Mm. They will have to kill each other towards the end. Hulk wants no 
kind of connections. And his his response to anyone's argument of we need to work together, we need to bond is like wake me when there's someone to fight. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. So back to the story. As Hulk looks back at the carnage that unfolded, he continues trying to force the Colosseum door open as a smaller, weaker insect native named Meek urges him to go faster or the king will see him. Pointing out the king in his high platform, Hulk stops his attempts to open the door and advances on the king, saying that he finally knows who to smash. However, the announcer introduces the next beast to emerge from the magma pit, a many-tentacled beast that swipes the android in half before grabbing the rest of the slaves. Hulk launches into a rage and in a single pound fatally smashes the beast's brain in, allowing the other slaves to be released. So Hulk's a lot more talkative here. That's the first thing I've noticed. Does he ever speak like this in the comic books? He's way more talkative than the, than the movies, isn't he? He is, I, especially when they do the halfway uh, Hulk in the later ones. Yeah, yeah. We we in the comic books, Hulk's, Hulk's language has changed loads over the years. Yeah, when he first when he first appeared in the early sixties, and he's not green yet, or even when he was green, he is he's not a giant. He's a he's more it's more Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, and if you've ever read Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde is not like a monster. He's he's a big, physically big, kind of really selfish, horrible aggressive thug mm. and that's kind of what the thought but he speaks in full sentences as time went on um it it seemed that that marvel really settled on this thing of green hulk kind of talking almost like tarzan yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the there are old tarzan old movie you know about the the jungle king and me tarzan uh swing on vine save you that kind of thing, and it yeah. would became why won't puny humans leave Hulk alone? That kind of <laughs> not in complete sentences. Um, in in the eighties, we've we've talked about this before. He becomes a smart gangster with grey skin, mm. sharp suits. He lives in a casino and bangs hookers. That Mister Fix It, <laughs> Mister Joe Fix It, yeah. Uh, and he's complete sentences then. But then we do see Savage Mindless Hulk that has no speech whatsoever, briefly. And then we get the Professor. We You've got to go and check out our Future Imperfect episode if you want to know about the Professor, um, which might be the greatest version of the Hulk of all time. On Sakaar, um, there's this interesting thing where they don't, and they don't always ever need, they don't always feel the need to do this with Hulk. You will sometimes get a new version, a new personality, and a new version of Hulk. And they won't, there's no kind of explanation as to, or acknowledgement. There might be a little acknowledgement that it's different, but there's no explanation. It's not like, ah, because he was exposed to blue gamma, he can now talk normally. There's nothing like that sometimes. It's just thought, this, this is a different Hulk. And when you've read Marvel for over the years, you know that the Hulk just changes and ebbs and flows and is mm. different. There's, there's, I, I like that. There's, I like that you just have to kind of go with the fact that Hulk. It's almost like the Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah, new cat, same name. Um, kind of most of the things are still the same, but there's a different slight. But the personality is a bit different. Mm. And in Sakaar, on Sakaar, in Planet Hulk, there's no one that knows the Hulk from. There's not like Captain America to go. Oh, the Hulk seems different. He's now talking in complete sentences. Where last month he was a, you know, there's no one like that. No one knows who this dude is. 
But I think there's something very, very interesting about what Greg Park does with the character here. The Hulk's personality really changes in... So the first thing that happens, and I think it's in that sentence he says where he's like, Banner wouldn't last a second, wouldn't last five minutes here. It's this... I think it's an instinct... It's survival instinct. This new version of Hulk is survival instinct. It is it is an instinctual thing that the Hulk slash Banner has done. Boom. Immediately, to survive, mm. he has shut out Banner. And this new personality has to emerge to deal with all this stuff that's happening on this this brand new threats everywhere it's a brand new sun it's a brand new ground beneath his feet brand new air it's like a reflex action if anything yes that's exactly it yeah shutting banner out is definitely a a a reflex it's just it's like blinking to protect your eyes from something flying into it and yeah this new personality comes out now this personality changes drastic quite drastically over the course of planet hulk um because he doesn't quite know who he needs to be yet to survive. Yeah. It's very interesting and very cool. Um, and yeah, he does start to become basically a gladiator version of Hulk that embraces this this world around him, this new world. I, I like that because that kind of makes sense. So the crowd goes wild at the bloody display. But as the Red King claps at the show, Hulk flies up at the monarch in a bloody rage before being countered by the king's lieutenant, Kara. As Hulk picks himself up from the floor, the Red King enters a robotic battle suit and fights the Green Giant, spilling his blood. One of the slaves tosses Hulk a sword, and he's able to spill a drop of the King's blood before Kira faces against him again. The two fight with the warrior showing more prowess than Hulk, but as Hulk is about to deliver a flying slash, the King blasts him with a beam from his armour. Instead of finishing his would-be assassin, the king declares to the audience that he will allow the Hulk to live as part of the show. But as he walks away from Kira, he answers her surprised response with, Who said anything about letting him live? Now, there's a line I really loved here, which was, Hulk slash! Oh, yeah, very, very cool. Was, when he gets thrown that sword. Thrown, gets slashed the sword, Hulk slash! I went... I went in my head, I'm flicking between this is cringe or incredible, and I decide to go with this is incredible. This is just so good. Uh, so, in the original story, does the Red King go all Tony Stark in his little battle suit? And also, what can you tell us about Kira? Yeah, Red King very, very, very much does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's okay. he's not... He has no, like... The Red King has no kind of powers or abilities. He inherits the throne from his father. His father was the 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 emperor the the warrior emperor that essentially in this this um like ravaged world with warring tribes um the red king's father like united all the tribes and uh put them under a stern rule very genghis khan like mm. um and and and, it, and his son has none of that. Like he's a vain, uh, childlike, opulent person who desires power and glory, but <laughs> has no respect for either how you get it or what you do with it. Um, uh, we do find out that he has. Any time he sires a child, he has them murdered, <laughs> oh, so God. that they can't take the throne from him. Wow, um, that's some Game of Thrones stuff right there. 
yeah and and um and yeah he has no uh, power or abilities but he has this very high tech kind of exoskeleton war suit that 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 makes him um a superhuman when he's in it yeah wow and Kara is his he's known as his shadow that's the term she for... she strikes me as basically nebula no okay that's just because of her and no I'm absolutely not no um so the shadow is like it's like more than a bodyguard. Yeah. Literally never leaves never leaves the, the, the Emperor's side. Um she was born to the shadow people, so she's the same race, the same grey skinned race mm. as Heroim. Um so she has access to something called the old power. Okay. The the old power is this force, this natives of Sakar. And the shadow people, the grey-skinned, if they're very adept, can channel it, and it increases their natural speed, strength, fighting abilities, all of that. She, when she was a teenager, her village was attacked by something we're going to see later on, the the alien spikes, Mm. um, and um, the... It mutated everyone in her village into these monsters. She's had a thing ever since. She was the only survivor, uh, allegedly rescued by the red by the red prince when he was the prince, and then came to become his uh, his shadow. Um, and the the old power, which won't become very important, I don't think in this in this one. Um, it's essentially, you know, we talked when we talked about the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer. Yes. The Silver Surfer is imbued with something that Galactus gave him called the Power Cosmic. Yes, um, I remember now. Which makes yeah. him one of the most powerful beings in the Marvel Universe. Mm. The old power is like an artificial version of that that the Sakarians were able to invent and create and, and kind of sort of use. So you could um, actually so artificially create that kind of godlike power. Yeah, although... <laughs> It is split up amongst all the shadow people, mm. so it like it's as if there was a race of silver surfers, and they all had access to the same well of power. So it's like a collective they, power. They all be a little bit powerful, yeah, okay? <laughs> but no, not any one of them will be as powerful as the single silver surfer. Gotcha, is. gotcha. Yeah. For some reason, I said all that, and it doesn't need to be said. But I like it because I'm technic- it, it's technicality yeah. stuff. I love it. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. In the slave cells, the team hold a service for the passing of Lavinsky and form a warbound pact, revealing their past to each other. Hiruim tells how he was part of Sakar's priesthood that believed in the coming of the true Sakarson, a foretold savior, but ends up cast into slavery after denouncing his faith. However, Eloi tells Heroim that some consider Hulk to be the true Sakarsen. Korg shares his story about his people, Cronans, the plunderers of worlds. During a flyby of Earth, Korg and his team try to capture a powerful creature on the surface that turns out to be Thor, who bursts from their strongest cage and puts up an intense fight. In a moment of desperation, the Cronan activates a powerful robot designed to fight armies, before the robot can take down Thor, Beta Ray Bill enters and joins Thor in combat, taking down the robot. As the Cronin fled the planet, 
Beta Ray Bill pursues, pushing the Cronin to take a shortcut in a nearby wormhole, causing their ship to crash on Sakaar and his teammates taken into slavery and forced to fight him, as we saw earlier. It's weird seeing Korg and Thor fight after seeing Endgame, for me. So, I, yeah, for me, I, for me I, it's I, weird. I, I thought it was weird that if you've got the clearance to use Thor... Yeah. Why not use Thor? <laughs> if you've got to replace Silver Surfer with someone, yeah. why are we using Beta Ray Bill and not Thor if you've got Thor? That is a very good question. Because Beta Ray Bill is like the secondary Thor. I don't understand that. No, that's a very weird. Uh, that's a very. That's like it's like extra steps, isn't it? Yeah. It's like is there is there a lot of love for Beta Ray Beta Beta Ray Bill? Yeah, but not more than Thor. <laughs> like he's a a beloved like C D list character. Yeah. Um. I I don't I don't quite understand that. That yeah. that is a very valid criticism. Also, when- I forgot the flashback includes Thor. Yeah, I forgot that completely. Yeah, it's it's a bit odd. Also, this whole Sarkarsen thing is getting is getting very Bene Gesserit from Dune. Uh, you're not a, you're not a fan of. <laughs> How do you mean? Basically, it's like an ancient <laughs> religious order who, all about the coming of the. You know, it's it's it, it, it all spends back into monotheistic religion, the coming of the true. Being and oh, it's it's a, that's just a big trope in fantasy and and some science fiction anyway. Isn't yeah, it really? it's, it's that it's big a massive fantasy trope, quasi quasi religious trope uh, that you know in a distant world. You know, I was watching uh, Ender's Run, Ender's, Ender's, Ender's Game, Ender's Game. Yeah, um, that movie. I, I Harrison Ford, you know, yeah. and it's it was, this was before some of that stuff had come out about him, which I didn't know. But anyway, what? The not Harrison Ford, the writer of Ender's Game. Oh God, I think um, I can remember this. I've got to look this up in a bit. And I just start. No, you don't need to look it up now because we're doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you can you can wait until after. So uh, I put that movie on, and within the first like five minutes of something happening, like I don't know, it's a a kid, a teenager flying a ship quite well, or yeah. maybe he was playing a video game or something. And doing very good at it, a simulation, a war simulation. Harrison Ford very earnestly kind of looks up and goes, "He, it's him. He is the chosen oh. one." And I just went, "No!" And I turned it off. And I've never finished or watched that movie. It's, I won't do the it. The book is a young adult book, so it's not going to be as uh, pushing the boundaries or pushing anything interesting. As well, you say you say that, but I mean, I'm you, I adored the Hunger Games movies. Every one of them thought they were brilliant. I never watched them. I thought it was Battle Royale with cheese. Uh, that's why I never read the book. Ah, um, okay. But that was a very. But that, honestly, they're really good, especially the. I mean, the first ones, you know, but the, the second one they do an awful lot more world building, and yeah. you see well, it's really enjoyable. Yeah, I remember uh, Ender's Game had a very. The only bit I remember was the ending. I thought the ending was the only interesting bit, and it, that that was it. The re- oh, you never saw the ending. I've never seen the film. I turned it off after five minutes. Fair enough. It, you, there you go. You fast forward it to the ending. It, it that's the only interesting bit. Anyway, anyway, in the original story, is there a religious prophecy around the Hulk or or not? Not about the Hulk. Okay, but about the the Sakarson. Yes. Um, you, can, you can make it sound Swedish and call him a Sakalson. 
Oh, what? Sorry, Sir Carlson. Like Carlson, a Swedish-sounding name. <laughs> Sir Carlson's pretty Swedish-sounding on its own. Sir Carlson. Yeah, I guess. <clears throat> um. So yes, the, um, the more Hulk wins, Green Scar, he is called Green Scar. Mm. Um, because the the emperor gives him a scar, he is green. He is green scar on the planet on the planet Sakar. The more he wins in the arena, the more bombastic his wins are. Because Hulk's like he he's he's not like this in the, in this in this movie. In the comics, he's really getting into it, and he's like he's he's really kind of almost excited and thirsty for for battle. Um, he kind of he's really you can tell he's taking pleasure in finally being allowed to cut loose and on top of that when he cuts loose and smashes people go nuts they cheer and they love it right (laughs) that's not something he's ever experienced before he was just shot into space for smashing around las vegas um so it's not he's not like it's not like he's um becoming full of ego about it but he's just you he he's he's becoming a warrior that enjoys being a warrior and that's something we've never seen of hulk before mm. you know like what like 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 again like go back to look at game of thrones like one of those one of those warriors in game of thrones that just fucking loves being a warrior i like loves the 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 fire of battle and it's kind of has like dark jokes about it and it's like come on let's get into this let's get stuck into this that's kind of how hulk starts is kind of being and the more he's like that in the arena in the coliseum the more that um people talk sakarians talk of all different kinds talk about him being this sakarson this this warrior that will stare death in the face and 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 smash it down um this redeemer mm. the the problem with this is that it's not addressed in this movie is that that's not the prophecy the prophecy is twofold and others believe that he is not the sakarson he is the world breaker Ooh. which is essentially like the anti the flip side the other half I thought so, yeah. yeah the anti like a month a monstrous super devil mm. that will decimate Sakar and 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 bring about death and tragedy um and 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 break thing break the world um one brings destruction one brings redemption and some of the shadow priests believe that the old texts have been interpreted wrong and there are not two figures but one figure the Sakarson and the world breaker they believe are one and the same. So, yes, it is a. It's not like a prophecy in a series where you're going to get to the end and go, and after all, he was the chosen one and he did the thing. It's 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 into is it is it it may all be baloney. It may all be just old men talking and text mm. and old religion. It may be myth. It may be true, and if it is true, which bit of it is true? You know, it's 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 really uh, open to interpretation. If this is one of those podcasts where we allow to use little sound clips, I would love to repeatedly, as a callback, have Harrison Ford go, "He's the chosen." He is the chosen. <laughs> Just to I annoy you, I, I, he may not have even said it. I, don't, I, I said it like that. I don't remember really, but yeah. 
I get it. I get it. I I didn't really pay too much attention to that film. Sorry, it's still with me now. I like, think it's after three movies of of three movies of the Matrix and stuff like kind of oh, really killed God. it for me in sci-fi. Yeah, 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 yeah. At that point, you're just done. You're done. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. The team are summoned for the next round in the Coliseum against the Wilderbots, deadly insect-like robots. Hulk. What? I always pronounced it wild bots to me, but that's There's just me. There's an E there. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But There's that is sometimes e. how wild is done in comic books sometimes, wild bots. Wild bots sound like something you got with a Burger King meal uh, in the early 90s. We just need to actually redo that awesome uh, that awesome song, Wild, wild Boys. <laughs> yeah. Was that Duran Duran? Wild bots, yeah. yeah. Always hungry, oh, wild bots. Coming through the forest. Um, that's what they did. <laughs> the wild bots live in the forest on Sakaar. I'm not making that up. They don't have forests. It's all sand. Uh, actually, do they have forests? Yeah. I did not see any forests. You've not seen all of Sakaar, then. I've, I know my place. Uh, anyway, Wilderbots. Deadly insect-like robots. Hulk faces them on, impressing Kira, while the rest of the team defends themselves. Eloi is saved by the Hulk just before being speared by one of the Wilderbots, and the team are able to take them down. As the king looks on, he gives the command to send it in, releasing the Egg Raker, a giant snake-like Wilderbot. The Egg Raker is a challenge for the team, but Hulk launches himself at the robot and, much to the surprise of the king, tears it apart from the inside out. As the crowd cheers and Hulk walks away, Heroim notices a small plant growing from a puddle of Hulk's blood. So, does the Hulk's blood grow plants? Or is it a, a, some kind of weird reaction to the Sakarian soil? Is this something we've seen before? Because this is a complete left field. This is completely left field for me. Never, never, never seen it before. Never seen it before, um... no. But it doesn't just in in Planet Hulk. It doesn't just happen once. Yeah. Wherever Hulk's blood is spilled and Sakaar, plants and flowers grow in 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 that in that blood. Mm. Um, it's a big big part of why the, the 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 peasants, the simple people, everybody, the the the, the people that aren't in the higher higher ups believe that. Hulk is this Sakarson, that it, and it's this myth. It 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 it, it forms this myth around Green Scar, um, mm. and makes him incredibly popular with the locals. Not seeing it like it in like back on Earth, um, although, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of possible that because he has this incredible healing factor, his blood does have some kind of like some some properties like that. I mean. His blood saved his Jennifer Walters, his his, his cousin, mm. saved her life. Um, but that might—it's hard to know whether that was just a blood transfusion she needed, any blood, or whether it was extra good that it was Hulk's regenerative blood. We can talk about that where later this year when the She-Hulk series comes out. Hooray! I'm actually looking forward to that, even though I know barely anything about She-Hulk. That's exactly what the show will be about, baby. But 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 it's like I am a looking, first look at She-Hulk. I I, I I I'm intrigued, but I'm more excited than intrigued. But I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's a lady. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that evening, Kira demands to see the slave cell and demands the Hulk to follow her. In a lava room, she tells Hulk her story. As a child, 
Creatures known as Spikes attacked her home village, spreading death and infection to everyone. She watches in horror as the Spikes kill her mother and mutate her father into a monstrous entity whom she is forced to kill, as well as her younger sister who also mutates. As the mutated villagers advance on her, Kira is saved by the Red King, then only a child. When Hulk asks what this has to do with him, Kira tells him that his actions are turning people away from the king and encourages him to escape. However, Hulk refuses, telling her that if the king wants to kill him, he'll have to do it in the arena, and returns to his cell. It's always with the zombie infestation, isn't it, with these kind of things? Are they zombies? They're kind of zombies, aren't they? Sort of. They're 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 muta- Well, okay. There's we we don't have time to get into the s- semantics of zombies. I always count them as the Resident Evil style virus zombies, where they were normal people, then they got infected, then they turned into these mutants that are surprisingly zombie-like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That that kind of zombie, not not the rising from the grave kind of thing. Uh, so the zombie things, the spikes, was that invented for the movie? Because that is. Horrible. No, they they are another another part of this world that Greg Pak has, has, has created nice. for Sakar. They um are yeah they they are it's a sentient it's a sentient alien creature. They're they're almost like spores, yeah. big spores. Um, and they uh they generally exist very harmlessly, floating around in space, absorbing cosmic energies from dying stars that's how they feed um don't tend to have to infect anybody and and take them over um but sakar is freaking weird it's this almost this sakar is just this hellhole <laughs> they 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 pass by sakar they 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 end up crash landing on sakar on its surface and they are stranded and cut off from their food supply and it sends them insane and they start burrowing into living creatures to consume yeah. them to consume any energy from inside them and and that involves like possessing them and kind of moving them around then like zombies to look for more food more energy and yeah uh d- d- this led to like decades of what was called the spike wars on sakar that the red king's father fought um and eventually he found a way of uh, like Jettisoning them, banishing them to one of Sakaar's moons, where they just starve there, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, in the middle of the night, Hulk is awoken by Meek, who hands him a piece of the egg raker. The rest of the team are later awoken by the Resistance, who have come to rescue the slaves, but Hulk refuses to come. Eloe takes her chance with the team, while the rest of the slaves stay behind and listen in horror as sounds of slaughter are heard on the other side of their door. This got very bleak. Yeah, it's it's, I, it's it's they it's there's there are some differences between the movie and the comics, but they they um they kept an awful lot of the darkness, which is really interesting. I guess because they they're making it for a direct audience rather than um a, a, a movie audience where they are perhaps concerned about you know they 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 they're much more making it from people that know it, it's aiming know at the, the Hulk. At, and yeah, they know older. Sorry. Probably older viewers, I think, yeah, as well. I, I totally got that. I did feel in places they held back sli- ever so slightly. They did, they did. Yeah, they I got did, that yeah. impression right away in some of these, because I went, ah, they could have gone further. But yeah, very, very bleak. I mean, it gets bleaker later on, but we'll get to that. 
The next morning, the remaining slaves faced their third and final fight, face-to-face with Beta Ray Bill, who is also under control by the Obedience Disc. With a single attack, he sends the team of slaves flying, with only Hiroim landing on his feet, ready to attack. However, the team soon find that no attack lands properly on the Asgardian, with even Hulk sent flying across the arena. Totally aware of the obedience disc implanted him in compelling him to fight, Bill tells Hulk that one of them will die, and it won't be him. Uh, We're going to have to talk about Beta Ray Bill, because... uh, I, I, I was really taken aback by his appearance. I mean, he looks like Eddie from Iron Maiden crossed with a horse, and his name sounds like <laughs> a character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's strange. What can you tell us about him? He's awesome. He's awesome. He's a Cronenbite. Um, so That's a word. Uh, we go back to the 1980s. Um, Shield. Nick Fury asks Thor to work for him. Go and uh, investigate something. There's a, an alien fleet passing through our galaxy. Go and have a look, Thor. Um, and it's a very, very advanced ship. It scans Thor and goes, "This dude's so dangerous. Look how powerful he is." <laughs> um, and uh, because it can't stop him from doing anything, the ship revives like its like protector, its captain, or whatever. Beta Ray Bill, who is in suspended animation along with everybody else. Um, Beta Ray Bill fights Thor to a standstill. (laughs) He just wakes up. I don't know about you, when I wake up, I am not good for much. But he fights Thor to an utter stop. Um, Until um, Thor kind of... Basically, Thor's... Thor's, he gets extra boost from Mjolnir. Um, uh, however, Thor's still got this weird enchantment on his hammer where if he's separated from his hammer for more than 60 seconds, he loses all his powers and becomes a mortal. Not immortal, a mortal, a normal man. Right, yeah, there we go. It's best to, it's better to clear that up with the pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah, a So... Uh, Beta Ray Bill not it, it happens he loses Mjolnir for longer than 60 seconds becomes a regular dude and uh, Beta Ray Bill knocks him out and then picks up uh, when when Thor becomes a regular person Mjolnir hides and turns itself into a, a stick, a cane and uh, Beta Ray Bill picks this stick up, uh, looks at it strikes it on the ground turning the stick back into Mjolnir and turning Beta Ray Bill into Thor. Beta Ray Bill is worthy of Mjolnir. He can lift it and he can wield all the powers of Thor, gains the costume, everything. Um, Once the ship kind of arrives at Earth, S.H.I.E.L.D. go, we've got to attack them! Uh, Beta Ray Bill kind of smacks him around. He go, basically he goes to he goes to Asgard, and um, Odin is like, "Well, you're both worthy of being Thor." Uh, <laughs> this causes a bit of a problem. Thor, uh, Bill is this race that the 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 Corbinites. Not the, the the Corbinites were nearly they're practically extinct, this, except they, the galic the whole galaxy exploded. This is isn't the Corbinites what some people refer to people who like Jeremy Corbin. Cor- oh God, maybe Corbinites. There's an actual term that gets used in the recent years of people who support possibly Jeremy Corbyn. This is K O R B I N I T E. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
Yeah. So um, the the remain after the galaxy exploded, the people the, the Corbinites left alive were put into suspended animation, and uh, the the greatest of their race, the 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 the, the, the most honourable and and hardest fighter, Beta Ray Bill, selected to be their champion to watch over them. He is augmented by Corbinite technology, right, to give him enhanced strength. Um, and 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 fighting abilities and all of that, um, and uh, yeah, Odin decides that they are both suitably able to wield Mjolnir, and he, in one of his many other tests of Thor, is like, I think maybe you guys should fight to the death to see who's worthy, <laughs> um, and yeah, so that that happens, and and. Uh, Beta Ray Bill does not exactly want to kill Thor, but he needs the power of Mjolnir in order to protect his dying race. So they have this this huge fight um, during which Beta Ray Bill knocks Thor unconscious, um, and although he he's died, it he is deemed the winner of the fight against Thor. Ooh. So he is given Mjolnir. <laughs> Thor is no longer allowed to be Thor. He no longer gets to wield the hammer. He lost. Beta Ray Bill, the giant alien horse dude, is like, yep, you're the new Thor now. I'm so glad you think he looks like a horse as well. He is meant to. He is drawn to look like an alien horse person. Really? I thought that was an accident. Well, yeah. How you accidentally draw a horse? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it happen, believe me. Oh, I'm going to draw a goat. Oh, it's a horse. So, uh, that being said... uh, Beta Ray Bill, after winning and, and get wearing Thor's costume and having all the regalia and the hammer and the powers, he does realize that, you know, um, he perhaps he does need the power, but he, he, he kind of doesn't know what's going on with the Asgardians and this whole weird deal with Odin. And so he's like, I'm going to be magnanimous. Maybe I could give up the power of Mjolnir. Maybe I could. Could you help me some other way? Mm. And Odin goes, Oh. Yeah, I absolutely could. I just didn't want to. Um, <laughs> Classic because parenting. Because I am so evil. Um, so Odin decides that he is so worthy, he creates a new hammer for Beta Ray Bill called Stormbreaker. Equal. Equal in power to Mjolnir. Equal in enchantments and mystic power and all of that. Um Forged from the same Uru metal by the same dwarves, all of that, um, and Odin transfers to this this you know this weird enchantment where uh, Thor becomes a human again after if he loses Mjolnir for sixty seconds that we just talked about. Oh yes, yes, yes. Odin transfers that over from Mjolnir to Stormbreaker, so that Beta Ray Bill can put the hammer down and go back to being a regular horse alien just, <laughs> around his people just your regular old horse alien nothing to see but, here but when he needs to defend the fleet and protect the Corbinites, he can use stormbreaker and gain all the powers of thor and from this point on he is just yeah he's it's like when they introduced a second green lantern who had exactly the same level of powers um you know it's he's not second in cl- he's not second class in terms of strength or anything like that. He's just as noble. He's just as honourable, um, and he has all this power. And he has his own stuff to do. But he does very frequently help out um, Thor and Asgard. But he's main. He's much more of a cosmic character than Thor is. Thor is very much Earth and the nine realms. 
but because um, he's an alien horse, Beta Ray Bill is uh, galloping around the cosmic paddock, shall we say. <laughs> do you, does he get much horse-like abuse? Does it, like, do they, do they go, hey, Mr. Red, want a sugar lump? He would kill you. He would crush your skull with Stormbreaker. <laughs> That's the answer to that question. <laughs> so back to the story. As the two fight, Hiram comes to his senses and notices plants growing from Hulk's spilt blood, fulfilling the prophecy that through Hulk's blood shall restore life to all of Sakaar. As Hulk attacks Beta Ray Bill with flying shards, one of the shards breaks Bill's obedience disc, freeing him. But not before Hulk launches him across the arena and starts beating his unconscious body almost to a pulp. Hulk's team stop him from killing Bill, saying that the king has to let them go now. So, uh, my production notes said that in the comic book series, this fight was originally between Hulk and the Silver Surfer. What happened in that fight? He was... The Silver Surfer's appearance in this story was incredible. I mean, it was already a very, very... It had already become a popular series that, that... I remember I wasn't reading it right from the start, but so many people were talking about it. I jumped on board to, to you know, because I'd, I'd heard there was this really cool thing happening with, with, with Hulk, and it was really good. And then there's this shock reveal moment in the comics, a real cliffhanger at the end of the issue. So you've got to wait a month to find out what's going on. Mm. The, the gladiators have been promise their freedom but only if they can gain i think three or four victories in the arena um and the, the final battle is against something that the red king has been calling his silver savage yeah. and then we see um it's revealed it's one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy yeah. it's the silver surfer with no board chained up with a slave disc on um and it was just like Ah, this is so cool. Uh, we're going to get a Hulk Silver Surfer fight as well. Yeah. This is just awesome. Um, yeah, that fight is... Hulk feels... Be- so, this is... Imp- there are threads of this that are important. Hulk and Silver Surfer do have a pre-existing relationship. Mm. They were both part of this kind of... This team slash non-team called the Defenders um, that were very popular. Um, briefly, and the Silver Surfer is kind of this cosmic hippie, this give peace a chance, calm figure. Mm. The Silver Surfer had this amazing calming influence. Literally, his presence would always calm the Hulk down, and they had a, a nice little relationship. But as soon as he sees the Silver Surfer walk out in this arena, he's already geared up to fight. And on top of that, he's just been betrayed by everybody else on Earth, every other superhero. That's why he's here. He was betrayed by them all, right? Mm. So as the Silver Surfer is being forced to attack him, he 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 is like, you're just like everyone else, another one to betray me, um, and, and goes off on it. Silver Surfer is not... I... I he's not going to be beaten by, by Hulk, but he's... Um, still suffering the effects of coming through that great portal, so his strength is greatly diminished. Um, the rest of the Warbound come to the Hulk's aid because Silver Surfer is incredibly powerful. Um, and during that, the obedience disc on 
on the soul server gets broken looks like it does here mm. and he he kind of gets free however like before the surfer can kind of basically say oh thank you for saving me from that horrible disc i didn't mean to hulk is just enraged and beats and beats and beats and pounds on the surfer and like the war the warbound have to drag it's not worth it mate to drag him off and leave it out um, baz it's a brutal um yeah it's a brutal uh kind of exchange yeah yeah horrible so, the Warbound are announced as the winners, and the King comes down to the arena to congratulate them, and announce them as free citizens. However, in order to become free citizens, they have to kill a traitor to the kingdom they are now loyal to. And that traitor is revealed to be... Eloi Kaffi. Hulk, as well as the rest of the slaves, refuse to execute their comrade, so the King sentences them to death before electrocuting them with his staff. Just then, Beta Ray Bill comes to his senses and unleashes a mighty lightning strike that destroys all obedience discs in the Colosseum, announcing no more slaves, before tearing a hole in the side of the Colosseum, freeing the slaves. Bill offers to take the Hulk back to Earth, but Hulk refuses, saying Earth is no home of his. As the other slaves fight their way out of the arena, Hulk throttles the king, threatening to go after him if he gets in his way again and leaves the ensuing chaos with the rest of his team. Bill leaves the planet as the Warbound escape to the Resistance hideout at a nearby town, while Hulk chooses to go his own way. I like the way the Hulk has some character here. Yeah. He's really got a yeah. lot of character here. There's a very touching moment in, in the right around this, this... I mean, Beta Ray Bill in this offers to take him back to Earth... Mm. And in the comics, it's Silver Surfer, and they have a because they have a a long relationship. Yeah, that actually has a lot more meaning to it. And he offers to take him not necessarily back to Earth, but take him away from here. Um, the Surfer does, mm. and Hulk. Uh, it's really, it's really great moment. He says, "Back when we first met, that's all I ever wanted. Mm. I hated the stupid humans. They never left me alone. Then I saw you in the sky." I thought you were a flying saucer. I wanted to catch you. I wanted to make you take me away to another world. And the Silver Surfer says, I'm I'm so sorry. If I had known, let me take you now. And Hulk says, you don't get it. I'm finally here. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. I just thought that was a really, really nice little bit, that, yeah. Oh, they! Oh God! This, they could have kept something in. They could have done so. Oh, I'm I'm annoyed they didn't. It's just there's a child. There's there's almost you see Hulk is this kind of abused, knocked around person in that respect, and he just wants to get away from it. Yeah. And he sees this the Silver Surfer. Loads of people think he's like an angel. He's like a this, that, the other. Like, and he's not a violent creature. Mm. You know, I just want you to take me away from here. That's all I wanted. And wow. and now he's there. He's got that that place that. I mean, it's not a place of peace, but I don't think the Hulk would be at peace in a place of peace. <laughs> no. I think the Hulk needs this. The Hulk needs therapy. That's, that's, that's the main call. Or he needs a war. I, I think therapy is better than war, but that's just me. Well, you're not the Hulk. Yeah, that's true, but, you know, I'm I'm just trying to, you know put my morals on the Hulk, which is a useless uh, maneuver. <laughs> anyway, in his rage, the king orders Kira to hunt, uh, hunt down and kill the Hulk, much against her protests. 
The Warbound reach their safe house in town, while Hulk wanders the wasteland until he's ambushed by Kira. Meek finds others from his hive deep in the safe house who tell him it is him who needs saving because, as it turns out, the person who gave them shelter is actually an agent of the king. Later, in a secret room of the safe house, the housekeeper slash double agent sends a report to the king regarding the Warbound's location and he is told to kill them. However, Meek has been eavesdropping on the whole conversation. He attacks the spy, loses an arm in the fight, but is able to kill the king's agent. So Meek gets a very sudden violent storyline here. Does anything like this happen in the original story? This is one of the times when they've really held back and like reduced something. Mm-hmm. Meek's role is very minimal in this movie, whereas yeah. in the comic he's, he's really a massive character. Um, so Meek shares with the other Warbound um, what happened when his his hive were, were, were slaughtered. Um, there's uh, one of the king's soldiers called headman char so headman i guess is his rank i don't mm. think it's his name but char a lieutenant in the military um and he's the one that slaughtered um or instigated the slaughter of the high for being unauthorized spawning yeah um and meek coward um as everyone in his hive he thought was wiped out meek sold into slavery all of that um but one of the people they meet when they're on when they've escaped from the Colosseum, someone that is kind of supporting them and letting them hide in the village, is is Char, Headman Char, mm. who is no longer working for the soldiers, but he is the man responsible for murdering Meek's entire hive, his whole family. Um, and he Meek demands. Uh, demands revenge, trial by trial by combat, yeah. a fight to the death, um, and Korg is like, we, you need to let this go because he's an ally of ours now in this thing we're doing. You have to let it go. And Meek then goes, turns to Hulk for advice and for his opinion. And the Hulk says something that strikes a chord. The Hulk, he he asks him, "What would you do?" Mm. If it was you, and Hulk says to him, "Never stop making them pay." Ooh, and that is Hulk's mindset for what was done to him to what is happening now. Um, and we see like Char has Char has like a family of himself now. He has a son. He's telling his son what to do, what chores around the house he needs to do if he dies in this fight, and the animals he has to look after, and the people he has to look after, and um. They have this fight at dawn. Char gets the advantage. He pins Meek's arms to the ground um, and tries to get him to give up. Meek cuts his own arm off to continue the fight. Um, And uh, before the fight can continue, though, Meek becomes an incredible pain. He's picking up a psychic kind of signal, a chemical signal. Hulk and the Warbound follow what Meek is saying and find Meek's hive survived. Some of them have survived. They are buried underground. They have been enslaved by the people of this village that are hiding the Warbound. 
um, enslaved and used as labor slaves mm. and beaten and punished. And Hulk, Meek, and the Warbound raise the village to the ground, destroy. There's not a single stick left. Wow. And they free Meek's people. And Meek has a semblance of a hive. Uh, Meek becomes their savior, their leader. Um, and they are added to the Warbound. Nice. And as word of this spreads, Meek becomes a heroic figure within the insect kind of communities, the insect tribes. More and more tribes follow and join this 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 army that the warbound are building with wow. meek as their leader and general and this triggers something in in meek he goes he undergoes like a cocoon metamorphosis and evolves and emerges into a much larger stronger Big tough meek body with that kind of you know you know, you know insects have armor essentially yeah, than yeah. some of their outer husk. He has this armor plating on his big strong body now. Th- meek becomes Is it a carapace. I don't, I don't know, maybe yeah, it's a car- or exoskeleton. You can say carapace exoskeleton. I get you. So meek becomes this kind of like complete student of the Hulk. You know, rage and revenge are the only things. On his mind, and as they find more and more of his people enslaved and free them and all of that, Meek starts to demand the slaughter of of enemies that have surrendered. And Korg and some of the other warband wow. are against this, but Meek echoes back the one lesson he seems to have taken from Hulk: yeah, never stop making them pay. Yep. Um. So yeah, a very violent, interesting, very different kind of bit of Meek's story in the comics. It would have been hard to include that in the film. It would have it's, it's a bit it would have been like a tangent almost. You need a longer film. You need a longer film. But I yeah, would have loved a series or something, yeah. I would have loved to have seen that. Outside the town, Kira challenges the Hulk to combat. After Hulk survives supposedly fatal blow from Kira, she is surprised to see Hulk healing from his injuries. In the safe house, Eloise can't believe Meek's claims that her father's friend was an enemy of the king. Sorry, er- wait a minute, I've got that wrong there, haven't I? Was the spy. Was the spy, yeah. sorry, I've read that down wrong. Was, a, was an enemy of theirs and, and, and a spy of the king and is now dead at Meek's hand. As Hulk and Kira continue fighting, a spike ship crash lands in the town, sending a barrage of spikes on the citizens, infecting everyone. Seeing the spike invasion, Kira pleads with Hulk to stop fighting so they can save the villagers. Realizing that Hulk is not a man of honor but a monster, she flee- she flees off to help. So flies off to help the village. Kira and the Warbound fight the infected to protect the villagers. So we've seen Hulk abandon the Warbound and walk away from protecting people here. Is he the selfish person like this in the Planet Hulk comic? At the start, yeah, I mean, but the Hulk truly grows and evolves during the story, as I kind of alluded to. Mm. Um, he, th- this world changes him. To begin with, he wants no part of it. He wants no part of the other slaves around him and all of that. He, he fights because he loves to fight and and he wants to hurt his captors and he wants freedom and revenge and. Mm. He starts a revolution by accident, um, <laughs> revolution simply by because accident. the people, yeah, they follow him, and, and he's charismatic, yeah. and he's he's strong in a world where might makes right. But it does start to mean something to him. The Warbound, when they make that 
bond, to swear those oaths to each other, yeah. to be with each other until the end, to to fight to save each other's lives and to fight any enemies of their own. The whole they all take that seriously. Warbound are the very first family the Hulk has ever had. Not even the Avengers. And, and completely. He's, he's in the Avengers for, what, barely in, barely two issues. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, sorry. He's not... Yeah, no, he's not. He's not. And and Bruce Banner n- never had a family, as we found out when we looked at uh, our Future and Perfect episode on, on, the, on, the, on the Patreon show. Mm. Um, and more than that, this is a family that Hulk can understand. Like... Superhumans, Avengers, Defenders—they're all too human for him. These are warriors, gladiators. They fought and killed side by side, and protected each other in battle. Hulk understands that. That is a bond of of family and brotherhood he gets. And the, yeah, the Warbound is very, very real to Hulk. He does not abandon them like in this movie. He once that once they. They've made that oath. He does not abandon them. He does not walk away and go his own separate way. Um, and when they discover these injustices and crimes committed against the members of the Warbound, like Meek's, Meek's people being slaves, the rest of the Warbound, including Hulk, take that up as their cause. Mm. And so, yeah, they they go around now. Okay, we're going to free as many of Meek's people as we can find. And as this story progresses... Simply because the Warbound are drawn from all these different tribes and races across Sakaar, the Hulk's army starts to unite all these different people together in a very... Hulk starts to act in almost this kind of like... It's war. It's it's a it's a warrior way, but it's a diplomatic warrior way yeah. almost. He becomes a true warlord, like a Genghis Khan figure. Fighting and killing, yeah, but also bringing these tribes together against a common goal or a common enemy. Um, he even strikes a deal with the Spikes to bring the weird Spike creatures into his kind of army. Weird. Um, yeah, it's very... It's a brand new Thor. It is a leader, he's a general, he is a warrior. It's kind of... Yeah, not a warrior, a warlord Thor. Yeah. That is crazy. So the warlord, sorry, the warbound find themselves cornered as a horde of the infected advance on them. Suddenly, the Hulk smashes in and takes out the infected to give his friends more time. But as Hulk is fighting the infected, several spikes launch into him, transforming Hulk into a monstrosity. While rescuing a child, Kira call, calls the king and tells him about the spike invasion. To which he replies, "I know, I sent them," before revealing how they are a creation of his. Just then, a flying ship flies over the village whilst, <clears throat> while still fighting off the other infected. The, inf- uh, the infected Hulk, still in control of himself, orders the Warbound to get into a cave as the ship drops a powerful bomb that bathes the entire village in fire, killing all the infected as well as any survivors, including a child that Kira was trying to save. Oh, God, that bit with the child got me. I wasn't ready <sighs> for that. That was dark, wasn't that it? That was that was very dark. That wasn't like too uncomfortable. That was, I think, it was suitably dark. Yeah, 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 it was the right kind of dark. But it's there going, oh, there's going to be hell to pay after this. It is, yeah, it's packed with sadness and pathos. This one, lots of pathos. So, as the killing, t- sorry, as the cleanup team sweeps through the village, Kira finds Hulk's body and reports back to the king. 
The next morning, the warbound are led in chains through the kingdom's streets in front of Hulk's corpse. As the king in full robotic armour gloats over the death of Hulk, the green giant springs to life and strikes the monarch. As the king's guard rush in to defend their leader, Kira unlocks the warbound's chains, allowing them to join the fight. The king's, now former lieutenant, fights against the king's guard alongside the former slaves as Hulk and the Red King fight an intense battle. With Hulk gradually ripping away the King's armour, forcing the leader to activate a massive army of robots. As the King almost gets the better of Hulk, the the Green Giant tears the King's armour completely apart. This fight got ridiculous in the right way, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it goes goes, goes off. It goes off. It goes off the chain, doesn't it? So, is this how the Hulk's battle with the Red King goes in the original story? Not quite, sort of, but not really. Um, the, the Hulk and the Warbound lead their massive army to, mm-hmm. and have the whole crown city, the capital city, surrounded because they've got all the spikes now as well. Yes. As well as all the insect tribes, as well as all these other tribes that have come together, they've got all the spike army because um, Hulk has struck a deal. It sounds like the end um, of Lord of the Rings. Right, the, yeah, the, the we're armies, bringing all these tribes together. Yeah, yeah. All, all, all the armies come and, together, yeah. Uh, the Red King, to, instead of surrendering, is like, I shall fight the Hulk one-on-one. He has this brand new armour that has, um, unlike the war armour he had on before, the first time they had a fight, this one now has, like, force fields and loads more kind of high-tech gear. Um, the Hulk, like, <laughs> he decides to... He doesn't just want to beat the Red King to death. He wants the Red King to know why he's being beaten to death. <laughs> so he has Meek use his kind of chemical psychic powers to project memories of all the atrocities that the Ooh. Red King has committed and had committed in his name into the Red King's mind. Um, however, this does not phase the Red King whatsoever. He is not bothered about anything he's done, any of the atrocities and the slaughters. Um, just, just, he, and he does the same thing. He rips the skeleton apart, the, the war armor apart. Mm. The, the Hulk does, and, and 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 smashes the crap out of him. And right before, like he's completely defeated, but the Red King demands still. He, he gives the Hulk the chance to kneel, um, and when. When Hulk refuses, the Red King activates a, a, a weapon which is in, in the middle of um, the, the crown city, the capital city, um, which rips open the crust of the planet no. in that location, threatening to like just destroy the whole city and kill everybody. And uh, Kiara explains to Hulk that the Red King's weapon, because she already knows about it, has cracked the very crust of Sakaar, and the planet will explode. Oh, God. World breaker. Yes. Sakaar, son. There we go. Hulk refuses to surrender or let this happen. He leaps (laughs) into the center of Sakaar, and he... Moves the tectonic plates back together. Oh, what a legend. Saves the planet, leaps out of the hole, and as he leaps out, like slams the Red King with this punch that sends him flying out of, the, into, almost not quite into orbit, but out of the city 
and into the forests where the wild bots or the wilder bots swarm and tear him apart. Wow. Um, and that is the end of the Red King. Well, it's a bit different here, but I like this ending. We're up to the ending now, as I was about to say. As the king begs for mercy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I've just, I've written this incorrectly. As the king begs for mercy, but tosses the monarch in front of the camera. Uh, of... Nope. <laughs> the king begs for mercy. <laughs> Hulk tosses the monarch in front of the camera. There we go. I've, I've wrote but here. <laughs> Stupid autocorrect. As the king begs for mercy, Hulk tosses the monarch in front of Kira, saying, That pleasure belongs to someone else. The king continues pleading, but Kira drops a spike onto the king, infecting him with his own creation. As the king's robot army arrive, they don't recognize their master and burn the infestation. With order restored to the planet of Sakaar, Hulk at long lasts finds acceptance as he becomes the Sakarsan and ruler of Sakaar. He, his wife and queen Kira, and the warbound stand as heroes in front of all of Sakaar's citizens. That's that's a nice ending. That's poetic justice. I like that demise of the queen. I really like that as well, that that he, in this version, he had created this robot army and the spikes, and he sends the army. The robots go in after the spikes have caused this horrible infestation. They burn everything, and then it is done to him. I thought that was very neat wrap-up writing, very poetic, as you said. Very neat. So that's a very lovely ending for the Hulk for once. Is this how it ends in the comics? It begins very similar, yeah. He becomes king, um, and he rules firmly but fairly. To begin with, Guerra, who has this lifelong fear and hatred of the Spikes, wants to turn their incredible warbound army on the Spikes, um, the monsters that killed her family, but the Hulk stops her. Um, and he's like, I, they are, I struck a deal with the Spikes, they fought on our side. I'm giving them a moon and they're going to be able to feed and all of that. Um, and he tells her, there are no monsters on Sakaar. The only monster on this planet was Red King and he's dead. Mm. The, I'm not a monster and no nothing else here is a monster. That's a really great... That is a really intrinsically great kind of line and moment and philosophy for planet hulk and for what hulk is about mm. you know this this idea of a planet of monsters and no they're not a planet of monsters it was this awful one monster and a planet of weird people when meek wants to start killing the red king soldiers that have surrendered and are in captivity the war bound split and argue um because that's not cool dude no. <laughs> um but hulk demands that they um if they're going to fight and kill anyone they fight and kill him and he demands that anyone that's raising a raising a hand if you're going to do that you start with me um and his line to meek and to everybody else is this fight is over we are all war bound now mm. embrace your brothers or i will kill you myself Ooh. and that again it's this kind of genghis khan warlord yeah. thing He's now not even a warlord. He is now an emperor. He's Emperor Hulk, Emperor Greenscar. Um, wow. And the the shadow people, the shadow priests, um, come to kind of like basically proclaim him as the Sakar son and say, 
uh, yeah, we 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 very much approve of you as the new ruler, um, and uh, Kiera will of course carry on as shadow of the emperor, um, and Hulk refuses because uh, he will not accept her as his shadow, but as his queen. Mm. And she agrees to marry him, but only on one condition at their wedding. It's a private wedding that no one else is there for. She says, I will only marry you if I can see all of you. And for the very first time, very briefly, Hulk turns into Banner. Oh, God. For the first time since he's ever been on Sakaar. And Kiera and Banner very strangely and meekly greets Kiera. And she she does not repulsed or rejected, but she uh, it's about Hulk making himself completely vulnerable yes. to his new wife. There's the symbolism. Completely vulnerable. Symbolism. Um, and they begin to rule together. They unite the tribes and the races, and Queen Kiera becomes pregnant with Hulk's child. Wow. Um, and they are he sends the warbound off from the capital. Each of them has to go off with a different mission of like ambassadorship to the different tribes and places across Sakaar and to fix different problems. And as that's going on, the shuttle that brought the, the shield shuttle that brought Hulk through the wormhole is being turned into a monument. Um, and he is in Crown Crown City overseeing the reconstruction. He sees a group of children playing atop the shield shuttle, um, and an alert signal activates, alerting everyone of a warp core breach. Hulk races to the ship. He is too late. The warp core of the shuttle explodes. Ooh. A nuclear bomb level explosion that raises the city to the ground that kills millions Ooh. including Kiera and Hulk's unborn child. Oh god. The capital is burnt. In the flaming rubble Hulk is raging at Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, the Illuminati, the heroes, the humans that banished him. Raging that he's seen everything he had built, and he had built it so well, just crumble. And his rage, he is holding the corpse of Kiera and his unborn child in his hand, and it crumbles to dust in his arms. And he screams at the heavens to bring them back, to bring them all back. And he rampages in the rubble until, for the first time, maybe ever, the Hulk's rage subsides and ends and we see him overwhelmed with grief oh wow and then the ships come in the warbound who have been off on these separate they were out of the city they come in and they remind him we are hulk we are with you to the end you are our emperor you are a king and with his army willing to follow him wherever he goes <laughs> and help with whatever comes next. Emperor Hulk, the gladiator king, his army of warbound, his advanced technology, his starships, they take to the stars. They're coming to Earth. They're coming for revenge. Hulk has a mission for the first time ever. It is a mission of revenge. They're coming to kill Iron Man. They're coming to kill the Avengers and anyone else that gets in their way, anyone else that did this. Oh. 
And that is how World War Hulk begins. So Planet Hulk is an incredible story, but it is the kicking off point for World War Hulk, a, a, a Hulk that we have never, ever seen before. Nothing like this. And the, the, the purpose and the mission and the grief and the rage, a, a rage that the Hulk has never felt before. So, yeah... It, it it is it is a great conclusion, but it is a kicking off point for something bigger and even more. Make sure you subscribe on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel to hear us go into that amazing bonus episode, World War Hulk. Well there we have it. A, a, a blast through a, a really incredible Marvel story, an incredible Hulk story, and something that we've never really looked at before, a direct-to-DVD movie, although we Man-Thing was a bit similar. <laughs> um, well, it was. It went straight to um, television, didn't it? Straight to the sci-fi that's, network. Yeah, that's the only similarity here. <laughs> <laughs> Will, then, I'd be really interested on your final thoughts on this movie and it is a movie but it's not quite the same as like a big hollywood production but your final thoughts on on this on this story and this on this movie obviously for, for it's surprisingly good for a straight to dvd animated movie i've seen a fair few in my time you know different stuff straight to dvd sequels and whatnot and this is very good this is incredibly good uh and despite hulk hardly getting any lines it was really good to see him as the center of the story for once because we've seen him at the said story like previous things, but they, they don't like to do it so much with, uh, with Marvel outings. Also, the supporting characters, I felt... Uh, okay, we're a bit hit and miss. From what you tell me, Meek gets a lot more done. But I think Eloi was a bit... I don't know, she, 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 she didn't have room to flourish, per se. It, it felt like they held her back. But Korg being forced to fight his old friends was was a moment that was a good that was a really good moment also the animation style the drawing style reminded me a bit of the tv show invincible i don't know if you got that is it the same guy 100 percent. yeah yeah okay yeah yeah i totally got that and despite some of the violence yeah as i said i do feel like they held back in places it, it did I, I don't know what it was they gave us enough just enough but i was like no no there's more here isn't there there's more here my violence gland is tingling also <laughs> and, and 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 yeah um from what you said I'm definitely interested, even before what you said was going to happen next. I, I was interested in seeing where the story goes next. Amazing. Yeah, you're so, so spot on about the animation style. Um, and the fact that this this does feel like it is head and shoulders above an awful lot of... It, this is not a, like a cheap cash-in direct-to-DVD no, movie. No, it, 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 um, so, it could have so been a cheap cash-in DVD <laughs> thing, but this, this, this feels like genuine care has gone into it. And yeah, I mean, they, they're trying to faithfully adapt a story that took over a year to tell. Very difficult in a whatever the runtime is, 90 minutes yeah, or whatever. So minutes, yeah, yeah, the supporting characters have got reduced roles, and it's a shame. Um, I think in this day and age, they I would love to see a modern, you know, do this as an invincible style TV show, yeah. like, animated show animated series because you would be you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have to hold back on the violence though because invincible was just so unbelievably violent but also there's not i mean this sounds weird but they're mm. they're not they're that they're not humans so you can tend to get away with more animation <laughs> when you've got rock people and insects being destroyed and you've yeah. got humanoids sicarians but 
And and also just the fact that there's so many, there are so many like subplots and stories yeah, in this, yeah. um, that that it would be great to see a, a bit a bit more of that. But um, I'd like to be, I'd be interested then in your your favorite piece of trivia from this episode. There was so much from discovering Korg is one of the earliest um, characters. I would have to say it's that in the, in the Marvel universe. It would actually have. Yeah. It would actually have to be. Uh, I, I mean, there's so much interesting stuff. I like the whole thing of Meek and everything. But oh yeah, yeah I'm going to have to say what a great callback that was for Korg. I, yeah. I, I completely forgot that he's one of the earliest Marvel. Well, villains. you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't because at the time, I'm not going to say. Uh, I'd like to let it kind of crop up a bit more naturally. That's um, good. But yeah, very a very interesting uh, a very interesting take on it. Um, as for a reading list, guys, um, of course, Planet Hulk. Get the the, the trade paperback collection of Planet Hulk. Um, that's plenty available, I believe. Also, Greg Park wrote a novelization, so he wrote it as a prose story, oh, wow. and that's really really good as well. Then um, I recommend both those things. Of course, if you can find yourself World War Hulk. Um, grab yourself a copy of that in chance for our February full-length bonus episode. Head on over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for the next chapter of this story about the Hulk and see what happens when Hulk, his war-bound and his army, get back to Earth with a kind of rage and sadness and grief that will break the world. And we're going to see a real world-breaker. Join us in the next episode for the next chapter of Marvel vs. Marvel, which will not be about the Hulk. However, we are going to revisit a character we haven't looked at (laughs) since year one. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. We are back with Nicolas Cage, the greatest living actor. (laughs) We're back with the flame-skulled motorbike rider, and we're going to take a look at uh, some of the different... (coughs) Oh, excuse me. We're back with kind of the different people that have <coughs> that have been uh, Ghost Rider over the years as well. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I'm just coughing in the middle of the uh, of the end of the show. Um, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance will be the next episode. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe us, give us five stars, leave a review, and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel? Join us next time for Ghost Rider: Spirits of Vengeance. And find us on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel.